the 5th of May, and if you know anything about what this means on the calendar, and if you are near a Mexican restaurant today, it's Cinco de Mayo, and hello, I don't know exactly why that day becomes a national holiday of sorts for Mexicans, because this actually honors a defeat the Mexican army suffered, but to their credit, they've turned it into a pretty popular day, and Frankly, it's spread here across the Rio Grande to this country, and a lot of people enjoy Cinco de Mayo. Well, we're going to have a party, whether it's the 5th of May or not, here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with John Senior Rawl, and we're going to have a great time. Man, we have a heck of a show lined up for you today. Guests galore, fun galore. It is a fiesta on y'all and you can be a part of y'all all you got to do is give us a ring at 803-816-1170 we'll take calls in both english spanish and we'll just throw in southern too maybe we'll even get a call in southern spanish here on today's y'all talk with a southern accent so why do we have such a great show lined up for today listen to this here's what's coming at you in hour one, we got headlines, we got sports headlines here in hour one, and our buddy Jonathan Lifite is going to be on later this hour with the latest on the Atlantic Coast Conference. We got football to talk about with Jonathan. We even have ACC baseball. What's up with ACC baseball here to start 2021? I even will talk to him about ACC softball. The Clemson Tigers are leading ACC softball here, and we'll discuss that with Mr. Lifeite later this hour. We'll also have a Southern accent on culture that comes to us courtesy of Kobe Bennett. He was in here on Tuesday. Hope y'all enjoyed him. He's going to be graduating here in just a few days and moving along. And if you missed any of that conversation from our Tuesday, y'all, just go back to our archives at y'all.com. And they're right there available for you to tune in and, and find out more about Kobe as he's doing these Southern accents. And we actually can tell you some good news about Kobe. He's graduating, but he's not graduating from the Y'all Show. We're going to have him continue to report the Southern Accent reports going forward. So we're excited about that. And so if you like Kobe Bennett, whether he's got a degree or not, he's going to keep on getting his degree on Yaldum right here with his Southern Accents report. And we've got a culture report from Kobe coming up this hour. Okay, what's coming up in hour two? Let me tell you the highlight. If you are a Southerner that is age 40 or more, and you were around a newspaper in the 1980s and early 90s, there's a dang good chance that somewhere in your local paper, there was a columnist named Louis Grizzard. Well, Louis died, unfortunately, in 1994, but this Newspaper columnist out of Atlanta, longtime AJC columnist who had over 400 newspapers carry his columns and had 25 books that he penned and was just a southern fun guy. Just golly, what a talent out of Moreland, Georgia. There's a brand new book out, and we're going to be talking to the author of Louis Grizzard, The Dog That Did Not Hunt. Peter started, wrote this book, and we're going to be talking with Peter in hour number two in part of our Southern Book Report, and we're going to file that, and we want you to be part of it. It's going to be so much fun hearing Louis Grizzard stories, and I was very fortunate in my career with Y'all Magazine that we had Louis's columns in Y'all. 
his widow, Deidre Grizzard, had authorized us to republish some of his newspaper columns. So you can go back in the archives of y'all and find some of those. But yeah, Louis Grizzard, the book is called Louis Grizzard, The Dog That Did Not Hunt. And of course, dog there spelled D-A-W-G, because if you knew anything about Louis Grizzard, he was a big old Georgia Bulldog fan. How about them dogs? Yeah, and we'll be talking with, again, author Peter Stoddard in Hour 2, all about his Louis Grizzard-themed book. Plus, Hour 2, we'll keep books on the top of our darn head, because we're going to keep a Southern book theme going with a book report. And this is about Mother's Day. Believe it or not, it's just a few days away, which let me let me get over here and write a note to myself uh, uh, real quick. Uh, I need to go by the Dollar General. Don't tell Mama this. Go by the Dollar General and get me a card and a stamp. I don't think they sell stamps at the GG, but I've got a stamp in my car, extra one. And uh, get off a Mother's Day card to Mama. Okay, got that note written. You need to maybe write your own note. And depending on how far your where your mama is, if you're going to mail her a card, you better get it in the mail today if she's, let's say, four or 500 miles or more away from you because it takes usually three days for the good old postal service to do their thing. And mama might not get that card in the mail if you don't send it today. Of course, many of you don't have a mama with us anymore, and you can't necessarily mail postcards to heaven. But maybe you... uh can have a little bit of a throwback and mail her a card to the address on file for her anyway, and maybe that'll maybe make you happy. But Mother's Day 2021 arrives Sunday, and in the spirit of Mother's Day, Kirkus Reviews has 15 kids' books perfect for Mother's Day and Father's Day, and we'll share a few of those in our Southern Book Report in Hour 2. And then Art Cruz will have his closing argument in Hour number 3. That'll be a lot of Great discussion with the headlines of today, both from the news and the sports world. All that coming up in hour three of today's y'all. Oh, I told you. I told you it was going to be good. Now, it, it will be, and we want you to be a part of the show. Go to our website, y'all.com, the homepage of the South, by the way. And, of course, you can text us with questions or comments or anything. Maybe you got a Louis Grizzard story. We want to hear about it, 803 816 1170. All right. Weather continues to be a big topic of discussion here across the South over these last three days as we had that awful storm front come through starting Sunday that hit parts of Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi got hit hard. And then we saw some tornadoes around the Atlanta area, of which a couple of people died in Metro Atlanta on the Monday, I think it was. Well, because of the weather that's hit the southeast here the last couple of days, floods have becoming are becoming and have been a big problem for many areas of the southeast. So if you've had an issue with that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But relentless wind and rain keeping much of the region wet and soggy. Tornadoes broke out as well. And you had flash flood emergencies in Alabama. And you also had flooding issues going on from Texas all the way to Virginia. The National Weather Service's Prediction Center warned today that flood flash flooding could also now affect the central Gulf Coast with storms shifting southeast and rain continuing to soak much of the region. The storms have been responsible for at least now three deaths and dozens of injuries here this last couple of days, and more than 242,000 customers were without power from Texas stretching all the way to Maryland. 
and that included about 90,000 people without electricity in Alabama, roughly 81,000 in the great state of Mississippi, and then Georgia had nearly 30,000 people without power. Virginia, nearly 26,000 people without power. Rains near Birmingham dumped at least five inches of water, and another two inches were possible before the storm system continued eastward. That, according to the National Weather Service. The Jefferson County, Alabama EMA officials said they urged residents to stay off the roads around the Magic City because so many were flooded in the Birmingham suburb of Homewood. Fire department rescuers in small boats paddled past submerged cars in a parking lot, slowly removing more than a dozen people from the water around an apartment complex. So, yeah, we got rain, we got winds, flooding. In the volunteer state, at least 11 counties were hit by possible EF zero tornadoes, according to an official with the National Weather Service out of Nashville. In Virginia, a tornado struck Northumberland County near the Chesapeake Bay destroyed one home and severely damaged others in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now we know in Mississippi where a lot of this bad weather really kind of kicked up on Sunday, forecasters have now confirmed a dozen tornadoes on the ground in Mississippi from Sunday. And a lot of that was around Yazoo City. And some of it, of course, was around Tupelo, as we reported earlier in the week. Our thoughts to everybody as they try to get through this and We know that it's the month of May and the likelihood of more flooding and or tornadoes before we hit the middle of the summer, certainly very possible. Another story out of the state of Mississippi in Hattiesburg, four people have died after a small plane crashed into a home in Hattiesburg. Hattiesburg Police Department PIO Ryan Moore said they were notified of an airplane crash on Annie Christie Drive at 11.20 on Tuesday evening, and at the scene, emergency personnel confirmed that a small civilian plane had crashed into a home. Four people were killed in the crash, and as of now, we don't know exactly if all were members of the plane or some were in the home, but Hattiesburg, Mississippi, plane crashes into a home, and now four people have died there in South Mississippi. Okay, some news came out on Tuesday about the possibility of getting a virus shot for kids. And now parents around the country are excited. So, yeah, it looks like they're going to open up the vaccine. Pfizer is anticipating the FDA will endorse one of its vaccines for children. I think ages 2 to 11, I believe, is where I saw one of the reports out about this. And results are expected by the middle of this year from a U.S. study of Moderna shots in 12 to 17-year-olds. So if you've got a parent, I think the standard rule thus far is the vaccines have not been available to young kids. Well, it looks like that'll be changing and made available in the near future. Parents excited about the possibility of getting a virus shot for your kid. And I think I saw somewhere that the the aim is before July 4th, 70% of adults in the country will have been fully vaccinated before July 4th. I may be off a little bit, but that is the goal and hope of a lot of people as we're trying to get past the coronavirus. Have you heard about a national bail fund that is expanding into the deep south? Bail out the south is the next phase of the bail project's plans to secure freedom for a lot of people over the next few years, and organizers are excited about this possibility. It's an effort to bail poor and low-income people out of jail 
and it is expanding into the deep south. The project expansion includes opening offices in Mississippi, Florida, South Carolina, and Alabama, and it's doubling its reach in the region through partnerships with local organizations. The bail fund for these people will work in concert with advocacy campaigns to ultimately end the imposition of cash bail. So there you have it, the National Bail Project, helping low-income defendants get out of jail by bailing them out as their criminal cases progress through the courts. And it was founded a couple of years ago following a successful 10-year campaign in New York City. And now this thing is coming to the south. Something else from the north making its way to the south. But this actually could be good. And I'll be honest, I'm not trying to sound like a saint here. I I apologize. I I hope I'm not breaking your heart here. I've never been arrested. And so because of that, I don't know what it's like to have to deal with bail. I don't quite understand it, to be honest with you. So if you're a bail person, a bail bondsman out there, that you can make a simple argument about why we have bail and its importance I'm all ears, 803-816-1170. But it's a little confusing, especially with the way you have to, I think it's the 10% rule uh, when someone gets arrested. And then I'll tell you what, I've had my house knocked, the door knocked on, and someone came to the, when I went to the door, someone was awaiting me, and they weren't very happy. And you could tell they probably had a gun on them. And they said, is this such and such, such my address at the time? And I'm like, yes. But, unfortunately for them, but fortunately for me, I was not who they were looking for. The The issue was the address that I had was extremely close to the address they were looking for, which was someone who evidently skipped out on bail. And they could tell by my appearance and the fact that I was running a business out of this address that I was probably not who they were looking for. And so they apologized. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, if you've never... If you've ever had that occurrence happen where someone came looking for you when they're looking for somebody else, it's not a happy feeling, and, and luckily I got out of that. Oh, I would say pretty pretty good. All right, in Florida, an update on some state politics there. The congressman of the Tampa area, Charlie Crist, a Democrat who used to be a Republican governor of Florida, says that he wants Florida for all. He wants Florida for all, y'all. And Charlie Chris, the silver-haired, sophisticated politician, if you will, who uh, has been in the tabloids throughout his career in the last 20 years, Charlie Crist announces he's going to run for governor again. He was the governor of Florida back before Ron DeSantis and also before Rick Scott. And now he puts out a statement saying Florida should be a place where hard work is rewarded, justice is equal, and opportunity is right in front of you. That's a Florida for all, and that's why I'm running for governor. Charlie Crist, who served from 2007 to 2011 as a Republican, I guess uh, he, he announced he was leaving the Republican Party in 2010 and ran for the Senate as an independent. He joined the Democratic Party in 2012 and endorsed President Barack Obama for re-election. And then he ended up being elected to the U.S. House, representing his home district, District 13, and he started serving in 2016 after defeating a Republican, David Jolly. Charlie Crist, again, was a one-term governor of Florida and now looking to leave Washington and get back to Tallahassee. I would say that's pretty big news coming out of the state of Florida. We've got more news coming your way here throughout the day on y'all. We are going to tell you all that, and we're also going to be joined here shortly by Jonathan Lifite. 
with an ACC report. News out of Tallahassee, of course, home of the Florida State Seminoles of the ACC. All that coming up on y'all. We got a sports update, though, is headed your way next here on the show that covers everything Southern. This is y'all talk with a southern accent, and it's time now here on the show all about the South to switch over and talk a little sports news. I'll be honest with you, it hasn't been the most thrilling sports news in the last 24 hours. I'm okay with that, are y'all? I think so. Hey, I catch up on a story that broke last week that I had not seen until today. The Tennessee Vols and West Virginia have agreed to a future home and home. Actually, it may not be home and home. Let me let me make sure. It, I know they're going to play in Charlotte, okay? The two programs are going to play at the Duke's Mayo Classic. That is a way to open the 2028 season at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. The Vols and Mountaineers met in the Queen City for the 2018 opener, the only previous meeting between these two programs. So, yeah, this is just a neutral site. I, I know that another, I think, Wisconsin and uh, somebody, uh, they just signed a home and home. This is not home and home. This is... In the, uh, in, in the uh, Queen City, this is the Duke's Mayo. Remember, that's the new name of the Belk Bowl, and Charlotte is the Duke's Mayo Bowl. And in honor of mayonnaise, something we like here in the South, they've kind of mimicked what they're doing in Atlanta with Chick-fil-A to start college football's season. The Duke's Mayo Classic opening the 2028 season at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, and this is for the 2028 season. So that comes up with a good question: Who else is playing in Charlotte to open up football over these next eight years? Is that what we're talking about? And uh, I'm going to pull up and see if I've got a list here. Thanks to the Duke's Mayo Classic, the Charlotte Sports Foundation is putting this thing on. Let's see, future games. Here we go. Future games this year, Wake Forest and Notre Dame are part of this. No, that might have got canceled. Okay, this year, Duke's Mayo Classic, East Carolina and Appalachian State. Also, I guess they got a doubleheader this year. This is this is something I just remembered seeing. Georgia is going to be part of the 2021 Duke's Mayo Classic. They're playing the Clemson Tigers in Charlotte. That ought to be a heck of a game. I don't have one scheduled here, at least what I'm seeing for 2022 at Duke's Mayo Classic to kick off a football season. But in 2023, it's the Battle of the Carolinas as the North Carolina Tar Heels and the South Carolina Gamecocks get together at Bank of America Stadium to start the 2023 season. The first time I think these two teams will have met in Charlotte since the 2015 season 
a season of which the Gamecocks won that opener, and this was Steve Spurrier's final year in Columbia. They won that game, and then they ended up losing almost every game the rest of the way. They did beat Vanderbilt, but they lost almost every game in 2015, which led Steve Spurrier to get the heck out of Columbia before the season ended. And I saw the Gamecocks play in 2015, and I saw them lose a game to the Citadel Bulldogs there at Williams-Brice Stadium. Yeah, so that was a rough season 2015. And the opposite side, North Carolina lost that opener at Bank of America Stadium, but the Tar Heels ended up having the best football season they've had in gosh knows when. This was when Fedora was still coaching them, and North Carolina even played for the ACC championship that year and had a, a fantastic year. So this this kickoff game, if you will, doesn't necessarily indicate exactly how your season's going to play out. So the Gamecocks and Tar Heels 2023, and then the Vols and the Mountaineers in 2028 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Get ready. Go ahead and get your tickets for 2028 to see them big orange Vols and the Mountaineers of West Virginia playing in Charlotte. Some more SEC connections here as we move along with our headlines. Former Oxford Charger turned Mississippi Landshark turned Seattle Seahawk DK Metcalf. He's a wide receiver for the NFC team, and he is going to run in the 100-meter dash at the USA track and field event. Is DK Metcalf seriously thinking about maybe taking his talent to the Olympics? Metcalf established his credentials as one of the NFL's fastest players, and now the Seahawks wide receiver will now test his speed against sprinters as he's competing in the USA track and field Golden Games and Distance Open, which is Sunday in Walnut, California. And what Metcalf listed as among the participants in the 100-meter dash. He even hinted at his participation in the event in a tweet on Monday. In addition to starring for the Oxford High School Chargers in Oxford, Mississippi, the six foot four, 229-pound Metcalf was a standout hurdler and long jumper. In high school, he ran a 4.33-second 40-yard dash at the 2019 Scouting Combine and reached a top speed of nearly 23 miles per hour when he chased down a football player last season. You might remember that. I think it was a Cardinals player. Metcalf made the Pro Bowl last season after catching 83 passes for a franchise record 1,303 yards for the Seattle Seahawks. And now D.K. Metcalf, Mississippi's own, which I saw him alongside his fellow Landshark wide receiver turned NFL player A.J. Brown now with the Tennessee Titans. They were on hand when Elijah Moore, who just played for the Sharks last year in Oxford, got drafted by the New York Jets. And there's a great video of A.J. Brown of the Titans crying whenever Moore got the phone call to be picked in the NFL draft. So a sweet thing of these guys. Wide receiver you is what you have going on in Oxford MS at the University of Mississippi at University Mississippi. Um, um, as I call it if you know anything about how that campus is set up within the city limits of Ox Vegas. So good luck to DK. And, hey, who knows? I guess he can't go to the Olympics because that would be set for sometime in the late summer. Unless the Seahawks let him go, I can't imagine that he would actually go. But he's at least going to participate in the USA track and field event taking place here this week. Now, another great SEC player turned NFL player looking to get back in the mix of things for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Did you hear about Tim Tebow? 
he tried out for tight end for the Jags and his old college football coach is Urban Meyer. And now Urban Meyer really believes that Tebow can actually make the team and help the Jags as he's got this reclamation project going on there in Duval. (laughs) And sure enough, Tim Tebow worked out, not at quarterback, but as a tight end. And Tony Khan, the Jaguars' chief football strategy officer and son of the owner, Shad Khan, told the Bleacher Report that the new head coach really believes that Tim Tebow can help the team win. So are you going to see Tim Tebow, who recently hung up his cleats playing for the New York Mets minor league circuit, make his way to his hometown of Jacksonville, although he was born in the Philippines, I think. He's going to make his way to Jacksonville and maybe keep his NFL aspirations alive. Look, I'm okay with whatever Tim Tebow does. I'm a I'm a Tim Tebow fan. I love the fact that he never relented at all on his faith. He 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 continued to be a champion for Christ and he you know, he he's never been in trouble. He's a great guy. He he goes I know a lot of times in recent years he's been on the SEC network. He'll go do an SEC network game day type broadcast on a college town stick around that town and on sunday he'll go to a church in that community and preach or at least give testimonials the guy is truly a heisman trophy type guy oh yeah by the way he is a heisman trophy winner (laughs) tim tebow wish him well wouldn't be cool a comeback for sure if he actually gets a chance to get on the jacksonville jaguars roster as a tight end hey we haven't talked about hockey a Hey, you use guys, let's talk about hockey. Let's take a quick look at some of the standings because in the central division of the NHL, we got a team from the south. Actually, we got, gosh, believe it or not, in the central of the hockey, it's like the y'all division. Leaders in this division of hockey include, get this, the Carolina Hurricanes are atop. Okay? That's pretty impressive, right? Carolina Hurricanes. They're up there in the standings with the Florida Panthers. And then your Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, also are there. And all these teams have – uh, they've got 30, mid-30s is their win total. They're doing very well. The Hurricanes are 36-10. and 10. The Panthers of Florida, not the Carolina Panthers, the NHL team, they have 35-14 and 14 is their mark. The Lightning, 35-14. and 14. The Nashville Predators are just behind those teams. The Predators have not yet clinched anything for some reason, but the Preds also have a winning record at 29-22. and 22. The Dallas Stars are 21-17. and 17. And then them Yankee teams in the Central Division are the worst. The Blackhawks are below the Stars. The Red Wings, a legend in NHL play. The Detroit Red Wings are down at the bottom, and so are the worst name in all of NHL, the Blue Jackets of Columbus, they are dead last in the Central Division. When you look over at the East, we got one team with a Southern connection hovering around the top, and that's the Washington Capitals. They're just behind the Penguins in the standings in the East Division. Then if you look at the North Division, well, we don't really have any Southern teams there. In fact, we don't even have any American teams in the North Division of NHL. Maple Leafs and Oilers are currently tied for that. And then on the western side of the NHL, the Vegas Golden Knights are in the catbird seat there. They have just a little bit of an edge over the Avalanche 
and then the St. Louis Blues, a a Stanley Cup winner from a few years back, they're right now sitting with the 24-19 win-loss total, and they're kind of sandwiched right in the middle of the west side of the NHLA. And then lastly, as we wrap up here on today's Y'all Sports Blast, I look at what's on tap Major League Baseball-wise here on this Cinco de Mayo. White Sox will continue their series with the Cincinnati Reds in this interleague matchup. you got Sonny Gray on the mound for the Reds, and this is an early game today, 12.35 Eastern, 11.35 Central time between the Reds and the Sacks. The Rockies and Giants have an afternoon matchup to start things here on Cinco de Mayo. Orioles also in an early game with the Mariners. Mets, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, Marlins. The Braves with a matchup this evening. Max Freed will be on the mound for the Braves when they take on the Nats in Washington. The Astros and Yankees also playing today. The Brewers and Phils. Tigers and Red Sox. Dodgers and Cubs. Clayton Kershaw on Tuesday got sent packing after the first inning. And the Cubs in that first game they played against L.A. just embarrassed Los Angeles. And now today, Dodgers and Cubs getting back together. Rangers and Twins. Giants and Rockies, Orioles and Mariners, part two of a twin billing. Mets, Cardinals, Marlins, Diamondbacks this evening. The Braves and Nats have a doubleheader, it looks like. No, I'm sorry, I've already said that. That's uh, listed twice for, for, for some reason. And then lastly, another game taking place, the Pirates and Padres. That's your Major League Baseball roundup here on this Cinco de Mayo fifth day of May. And I'm going to tell you some fun stuff about Cinco de Mayo in our number two of today's y'all show hold on when we come back on the y'all show we're going to go to our buddy jonathan lifeite and get a report on all things acc we'll talk a little acc football a recap of what's going going on from a spring football standpoint with jonathan and then we'll also get his take on some acc baseball news the acc not doing quite as well as i think most people thought they would in some real surprises all that in our acc spotlight and it's up next on y'all talk with a southern accent some updates from the Miami Hurricanes football program we'll tell you about a former quarterback finding a spot on another college football roster this is the y'all show I'm John Rawl and here each week we have an opportunity to fill you in on all things ACC courtesy of Jonathan Lifeline Jonathan is with the website 247sports.com which does an amazing job of covering all things college sports that's part of the CBS Sports Digital Network and Jonathan joins us to give us an update on what's going on in the ACC and more and on the Cinco de Mayo all I can say as we welcome in Jonathan is Guten Tag Good morning how are you <laughs> I'm good I thought you would say hola 
I think that's what uh, people in Mexico say. Well, yeah, but you were speaking in German, so we're good. Yeah, you're right. Hey, Jonathan, we're going to have an hour or two. I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way because I want to. You're a guy who grew up in Georgia, not far from Atlanta. You went to college in Atlanta at a place called Georgia Tech. Yep. And you you were there in the 80s and the early 90s, and there was a guy who wrote for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution named Louis Grizzard. Yes, there was. And he went to that other school in Georgia. But yep. I, yep. I, we're going to have a special guest on an hour or two. A, a gentleman has written a great book about Louis Grizzard. Peter Stoddard is coming on an hour or two to talk about this new book. <clears throat> but you as a Georgia Tech guy, what is your impression of the late, great Louis Grizzard? Well, he probably wrote my uh, one of one of my the favorite columns that I've ever seen uh, out of a uh, out, out of a, a writer, um, circa I guess about 1984, 1985, um, and basically the title of it was Georgia Tech beats UGA, and his entire column was frankly I don't want to talk about it, and that was it. <laughs> that was the end of his column. Yep. So that was probably my favorite column ever by by a, a news writer. So I have to admit that uh, I am a fan of of at least that column. All right. Well, he he did have so many memorable columns, and we'll we'll talk about when Peter's on an hour or two. But I just wanted to ask you, as a guy who actually remembers when most people used to get an actual printed newspaper delivered, and that was their way to communicate, and and frankly, people like Louis Grizzard often made people not only read but made them laugh. And that's not something commonly found here in today's world. That, that's a fact. He, he did make people laugh. Uh, sometimes I laughed at him. Sometimes I laughed with him, but I did laugh. Yes. All right, Jonathan, CBS Sports Digital, you're teamed up with that great site. And CBSSports.com is where you'll see an article out written by Chip Patterson, 2021 ACC Spring Football Overreactions. Clemson boasts <laughs> best wide receiver core in nation. UNC eyeing playoff run. What in the world is Mr. Patterson writing about? Louis Grizzard, would he get a good chuckle out of this article? Uh, probably. I think I think it's kind of funny because if you're a fan of any of those teams, you'd look at yours and go, yeah, that's good. And then you'd look at the rest of them and you'd probably laugh a little bit going, yeah, uh, they're being a little optimistic. But that's what fans do. They're optimistic. And and basically what he did is, is laid out kind of the fan – uh, view of, of what things look like for that for, for a particular team coming out of spring practice and uh, you know when I, when I hear you know Clemson boasting the the, the best uh, wide receiver core given that they probably won't get Justin Ross back um, I kind of go hmm, I don't know about that they'll be certainly very very good but I'm not sure about best and then when I hear UNC eyeing a playoff run I just can't help but chuckle a bit you know so so I, I understand kind of what he is doing he's, he's really just kind of talking about Here's the best case scenarios for for each team and the one that the, the 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 fans hope they see. One team that he's got something about in here is the Duke Blue Devils and Coach Cutcliffe. Prior to last year, had had a team that was hovering around a bowl eligibility just about every single year. Last year was really awful. Of course, they're trying to rebuild from Daniel Jones going to the Giants a couple of years ago. What's up with Duke? Are they going to be much improved here, in your opinion, in 2021? You know, I, I'm not so sure that they are. Their recruiting had had been, you know, for by Duke standards, pretty good um, for a few years under under Cutcliffe. But the last couple of years, it slipped a little bit, and, and they don't have kind of 
a program like that needs a real difference maker like a Daniel Jones or, you know, some other player that generally can, you can kind of ride their back a little bit and get a, get you an extra victory or two to get them up there in the, in the bowl contention, you know, and, and I'm not sure that they have that. And, and that's, you know, they went with uh, Chase Bryce last year, um, transfer out of Clemson. And he clearly wasn't, uh, this is, I'm talking about quarterback. He clearly wasn't really the answer. And they also had a huge number of turnovers, um, you know, throughout the course of the season. And I think if you look in that article, Cutcliffe talked about how much they worked on ball security and, and whatnot. So if they can turn around that, I think they'll pick up a few more victories. But are they they'll probably be a borderline ball team if they can turn that particular, uh, you know, aspect around. But I'm I'm kind of feeling like, uh, to, in my opinion, that, that Cutcliffe's time has kind of passed there. Uh, their, their window with him is, is probably closing. All right, we're talking with Jonathan Leifite of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports Digital here on the Y'all Show. It's our ACC report. Let's go to the state capital of the Sunshine State, and they've got a guy who actually, you don't do this often in Florida. This guy moved north, Jonathan Leifite, from Orlando to Tallahassee. We're talking about former UCF quarterback Mackenzie Milton, and is he going to help FSU be a much improved team as he's a uh, a guy transferring in to Mike Norvell's program? Well, I think with with Milton, it's all going to be a question of how well did he recover. Of course, we all remember that uh, that horrific injury he he suffered. I think it was 2017 um, or 2018. I can't remember when it was, but it was a, a number of years ago, and in down there at UCF, and just you know really just an awful injury and it's taken him quite a bit of time to recover. So he, he's a, a player that hasn't seen, uh, hasn't seen the field in, in a number of years. And so it'll be interesting to see if, if he's able to regain that form that he had uh, when he was at UCF. If you'll remember, he was, you know, considered probably kind of an all American candidate at UCF. And so the, the question will be if he, if he can regain that form, if he can't uh, Florida state, and they'll probably be a pretty big battle. Uh, Jordan Travis is probably the other guy at uh, Florida State that, that you'll see kind of looking at quarterback. In between those two, that they've got to find, you know, they got to find a decent quarterback. Last year, last several years, they've really struggled with at the quarterback and really offensive line positions. And those are the two areas that they've had the kind of the biggest gap. So, if Milton can can recover from that injury, um, then he certainly um, possesses a lot of the skills to to to. Uh, to, to boost uh, Florida State up. Mr. Milton, I want to apologize. I was just picking on you for moving north to a state capital to transfer and become a player for the Florida State Seminoles. There's actually a guy from Jacksonville, Florida, who decided to go way north to play his college football in a capital city in the frigid capital city known as Atlanta. And, <laughs> and we're going to keep it on the quarterback position jeff sims is he going to have and the question that cbs sports ask here on their website jeff sims poised for breakout season is there some truth to that well I, if you if you saw the georgia tech spring game which which obviously i was in attendance at then you would believe yes he certainly looked uh a lot more comfortable um sims big thing is is decision making sims big thing is is whether or not he can uh uh, kind of eliminate the turnovers that he had. He would just have an occasional really bad pass um, in uh, last season. And if he can eliminate those, then I think, you know, he will be poised to take a really big 
step forward. But that offense will live and die as the offensive line progresses. That has been kind of a, that was a huge part of the transition from moving from Paul Johnson's triple option to more of a uh, uh, kind of a spread based uh, uh, approach, more of a passing offense. Um, you know, they went from a lot of a, just a, just a different line philosophy altogether. And that's been a big transition. Um, George Tech adds Devin Cochran from Vanderbilt as a, as a transfer. Um, he was a kind of an NFL prospect and they've got a, a, a good bit of talent coming back. It's going to be uh, a really kind of, if they can pull that, that group together and get some cohesion, then Sims will take a huge step forward. Well, one of the things we started this conversation with you about here on this article pinned at cbssports.com and Chip Patterson with this article, 2021 ACC Spring Football Overreactions. He talks about Mac Brown and the Hills of North Carolina, a title contender, CFP contender perhaps. Do you think North Carolina is ready to contend? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> but Chip thinks I, they might be. Uh, Chip may think that, um, and, and and there might be a few fans that might think that, but um, I think they're still um, – they haven't been recruiting on, at the level they need to do that. Right now, if you look at the ACC, there's one team that's really kind of going to contend, and that's Clemson. Oh, and I, come and on. I, You're, same story. I just – I don't even need to have you on here anymore, Jonathan. <laughs> well, until somebody changes the script, it's just the way it is. Um, and, and I just don't see North Carolina being that team at this point. All right. What's the best defensive team in the ACC entering 2021? Don't don't tell me Clemson. Uh, if it's not Clemson, it might be Miami. Hmm. Um, Miami has a pretty good defense. Uh, typically, they they have a pretty good defense. Um, and then uh, other teams that that might be Virginia is usually pretty solid. I wouldn't say they're the best, but they're usually pretty solid. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall does a does a good job of coaching them. Um, so those are probably you know a couple of the teams that, that I would look at in terms of who the best defenses are. If Florida State can return to form, then you'll see them pretty good, but I think they're still a couple years away. All right, let's talk about two former guys with ACC connections now teaming up on the gridiron as Willie Taggart. Remember him, former Florida State coach? He is now at Florida Atlantic, and he has got the services now of Nikosi Perry, the former Miami Hurricane quarterback, starting QB for the Canes. He's now moving up to Boca Raton, and he and Taggart will be playing together as Taggart coaches, and Nikosi Perry will be quarterback in the Owls in the 2021 season. What are your thoughts on the former QB for the Canes, Mr. Perry? Well, uh, there's a reason he left uh, Miami, and, and probably the reason is, is twofold. One of them is uh, Derek King, um, who is, who's kind of t- – kind of locked down the starting position and the second is, is is quite honestly perry was not that impressive as as a quarterback at at miami so from from that perspective it, it's probably good for him to move down a level and see if he can you know build some confidence and kind of move things forward but uh he wasn't all that great in my opinion I, and i watched him you know numerous times uh through the through the course of uh of his career all right, moving over to college baseball as it is winding down here in the month of May, the regular season, and the ACC's top representative in the polls, at least of D1Baseball.com, is the power program, Jonathan, of Notre Dame at number seven in the country. Yeah, you heard me, the Irish checking in there. And the other representatives from the ACC, 
Louisville is at 15 in the latest poll. Florida State checks in at number 18. Only three teams from the conference. And what usually is an ACC, uh, ACC is right up there with everybody and has national champions here of late as well. And we're not seeing the kind of year we're used to for ACC baseball. And if you don't believe me, just look at the standings. Notre Dame is atop the Atlantic Division with a 21-8 and mark in conference play. And then you got to go all the way down next to Louisville, 14-9. and That's quite a quite a difference, in my opinion, of the play. FSU, 15-12. and Clemson's also 15-12 and in conference play. But then you got teams like Wake Forest at 7-19. and Then you go to the Coastal. Pitt is the leader in that side of things. Georgia Tech, 15-12 and in conference play. Virginia Tech is just behind them. A perennial power is Miami. They're barely over 500. North Carolina's under 500. And a recent national champion, Duke, or rather Virginia, is sitting at 13-17 and 17 in ACC play. Jonathan, what is up with the ACC's baseball season? Well, it, it, to your point, I mean, they just have not had a, a very strong uh, season at all. They're, they have not played well out of conference, um, so that's been kind of a big deal. And then there's just a tremendous amount of parity as well. I mean, so uh, you can't count on any one team to kind of uh, to dominate. Um, Notre Dame seems to have, have beat the team. Louisville was, uh, you know, ranked very highly for a lot of the season. Um, so they've had a, 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 you know, kind of a good run at it. Georgia Tech actually made it all the way up into close to the top 10 for a bit. Then they fell off, but just very inconsistent play, um, out of, mo- out of most of them. Uh, largely it's been the pitching, um, for, for most teams. Um, I think the early season lack of mid, you know, kind of a midweek play has played a factor in, and not being able to get rotations kind of set, and then you get inconsistent play as, as a result. This weekend's ACC series, Clemson will be at the Rusty Sea to take on Danny Hall and the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Duke will take on Louisville this weekend. Virginia Tech's out of conference against the Toledo Rockets. BC and Pitt will be getting together there along the banks of the Monongahela this weekend. Toledo and Virginia Tech actually have a doubleheader on Saturday, which is an exciting thing if you want to be there in Blacksburg for that. Florida State and Notre Dame, a ACC network broadcast of this one Saturday evening if you want to tune in for that top 20 matchup between these programs. And then the Miami Hurricanes out of the conference taking on App State and that will wrap up your ACC baseball play this weekend. As we wrap up our discussion with Jonathan Leifite of 24-7 Sports on all things ACC, to softball we go. The ladies are winding down their season, and congratulations to the Clemson Tigers. The Tigers sit atop the softball standings with a 26-4 and mark. Clemson is 37-4 and overall, nipping on the Tigers' heels. The Florida State Seminoles, who are just below them with a 24-4-1 and Mark, this weekend on the softball diamond, the series include Clemson at Syracuse, Boston College at Notre Dame, Louisville at North Carolina, Duke at NC State, and Florida State at Pitt. Jonathan, anything you want to say about the ladies of ACC softball? Well, uh, you know, Florida State's been kind of the class of the conference for a number of years. They're still up there, and, and now you see Clemson kind of emerge. Um, softball play in, in the league has really kind of started to elevate. It's gotten a, it's gotten no easier for for folks. So, um, all in all, that's a that's a sport that's kind of on the rise in the ACC right now. All right, Jonathan. Anything else conference wise we need to get from you before we say our goodbyes here on this fifth of May? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, the, the ACC uh, baseball tournament will be, I believe, uh, coming up 
just a few weeks in, in Memorial Day. Lots of you mentioned kind of the, all the stuff going on in the parody. Uh, so that's really kind of the big the big deal there. Um, and then uh, I think the only other thing is, is is college recruiting visits will start to resume on June 1st. They're going to allow that. They finally have kind of lifted the restrictions from COVID. So um, that will kind of make a shift in how things are rec- on, on, on recruiting uh, pretty sub- substantially, not just within the ACC, but across the country. All right. He is Jonathan Lifeite, 247sports.com. Thank you for the incredible input here on this Wednesday Y'all Show. Thank you very much. You guys have a fantastic day and rest of your week. And we'll talk to you next week, everybody. All right. We have one more segment here in this first hour of the show all about the South. Stay tuned. We've got a Southern Accent Report being filed by Mr. Kobe Bennett. That is coming your way next here on Talk with a Southern Accent. Don't miss out on the fun. Southern accent. Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. The 2020 census results are in, and the state of Georgia is outpacing the national average. Over the past 10 years, the Peach State's population has grown more than 10%, with 1 million residents added to their ranks. The news of this growth has caused a bit of a governmental shakeup, as district lines have to be redrawn from Congress to city councils. However, in spite of the expansion, Georgia will not be adding a congressional seat as the state's population growth has slowed considerably from the previous decades. In 2010, Georgia became the 8th largest state in regards to population and added the 4th largest number of new citizens overall, only trailing behind California, Texas, and Florida. The surges the state has received in its population in the past have effectively shifted the political power from the north to the southern and western portions of the U.S. It remains to be seen what will happen now, considering the new data. Southern fun and more at y'all.com. All right. Thank you there. Our Southern accent courtesy of Mr. Kobe Bennett. Well, that will wrap up this first hour of talk with a Southern accent. We've got a whole nother hour coming up your way next, including our conversation with author Peter Stoddard, who wrote the book, Louis Grizzard, the dog that did not hunt. That, as well as a business report coming your way and a book report, too. Boy, we got all kinds of good stuff. You don't want to miss it, y'all. All right, we've been threatening it, and we're going to make the deal official here. We're going to have a great hour of everything Southern here on Y'all. I'm John Rawl. Oh, our website, y'all.com, the perfect four-letter word, Y-A-L-L.com. Yeah, that's where you can go. It's the homepage of the South. We have so much great content up there. And go there now to see a variety of subjects right up your alley. Y'all.com, the homepage of the South, and they help present here the Y'all Show. Our number is 803-816-1170. Let your fingers get the exercise in here on this 5th day of May, a.k.a. Cinco de Mayo, or is it Mayo? Because we like our Mayo here on this side of the Rio Grande for show. All right, we have coming up here on Y'all this second hour, a look at some headlines. We have a business report coming your way and get the recorder going because later this hour, Peter Stoddard stopping by. He is the author of the book, Lewis Grizzard, The Dog That Did Not Hunt. 
And that's coming up here in just a few minutes, a fun conversation. If you don't know who Louis Grizzard is, please keep listening to me here do the Y'all Show today. But while I'm talking, you can multitask, if you will, and Google Louis Grizzard and see exactly who he was. Unfortunately, Louis died back in 1994. He's been dead 27 years, died at the age of 47. But at one time, he was the South's premier newspaper columnist and a hilarious guy and took his fame on to write books and did some recordings with Nashville hit makers and more. Louis Grizzard is a Southern legend and Stoddard has this new book out that we're going to be talking to him and you'll enjoy this great interview in fact if you go to y'all.com you can even watch our interview with peter stoddard so check that out it's up right now on the homepage of the show all about the south so we have all that coming up and don't forget hour three of today's y'all show we have art cruz and his closing argument all that coming your way here on y'all but we start out this hour with a look at headlines across the southeast and the south continuing to dig out from bad weather we've had deadly tornadoes and now flooding lots of flooding in the birmingham area we've seen bad weather stretch from texas to maryland here this week and it is a very very scary thing for those portions of our region which have been hit pretty darn hard here over these last couple of days so if you're in one of these hard-hit areas let us let you know that we are certainly thinking about you and we'll all get out of this as soon as we possibly can. Now to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. On Tuesday night, a plane crashed into a home there in South Mississippi and four people are dead. And I don't know the breakdown if all four were in the small plane that crashed in Hattiesburg or if there were people inside the home that died as a result of this crash, but a very unfortunate incident there in the Pine Belt of Mississippi here in the last couple of hours. To Florida on Tuesday, Charlie Crist, who's currently a congressman, but Charlie Crist was actually the governor of the Sunshine State back around 2008-2009, and he was a one-term governor that ended up running for senator, and then he became a Democratic congressman. He was a Republican governor back 15 years ago. Now Charlie Crist says, you know what? I think I want to be governor again. So he's running for governor. He'll be going up against Ron DeSantis next year as they compete for governor of Florida. Of course, Chris will have to go through the primary process, and he may not make it out of that. But is he hanging up his congressional boots? It sounds like it. Charlie Crist making news in the Sunshine State on Tuesday. Now, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of that state we call down here, Michigan, she is among seven people being awarded by the JFK Foundation for Courage. She being awarded because she essentially shut down the whole state? Well, evidently so. The award is named after John F. Kennedy's 1957 Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Profiles in Courage, about eight U.S. senators who risked their careers by taking principal stands for unpopular positions. Now, I'm not on here to talk about Gretchen Whitmer getting one of these Profile in Courage awards from the JFK Foundation, I'm here to tell you about some of the other of the seven nominees or the seven recipients here. By the way, Mitt Romney is one of the recipients of this darn award. But from the South, we have two people getting the JFK Awards. Burnell Cotlin, the owner of Burnell's Market in New Orleans. He allowed dozens of customers who lost their jobs at the outset of the pandemic to take groceries on credit and put his own livelihood at risk. That's a good award. 
So congratulations to Burnell Cotlin in New Orleans, owner of Burnell's Market, for that incredible gesture there. And another Southern, if you will, commoner getting an award from the JFK Foundation is Antonio Green from Charleston, South Carolina. Antonio, an Amazon delivery driver, risked his health to make deliveries, and this, this was, of course, during the pandemic, while risking his health to make deliveries, noticed a sign on the door of a customer's home which alerted visitors that he was undergoing chemotherapy and was immuno, immunocompromised. And Antonio Green brought the man flowers and a message of support. A nice gesture by a great Southerner there in Charleston, Antonio Green. Those are two of the seven of the JFK Profile and Courage Awards that the John F. Kennedy Library Foundation is honoring here in the coming days. we got two people from the South, much more deserving than people like Mitt Romney and Gretchen Whitmer, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right, how about, speaking of the low country of South Carolina, did you hear about some of the ugly things that people are saying to the U.S. Senator from South Carolina from that part of the state, Tim Scott? In fact, some ugly things being sent Senator Scott's way. And now Scott's been the target of all kinds of vitriol since his counter to President Biden's State of the Union address from a week ago, and people are really coming after him. In fact, in Texas, a local Democratic Party official there, days after the election, will not accept the resignation of that party's leader in that area of Texas, And this leader had faced backlash for calling Senator Tim Scott a black Republican, by the way, called him an Oreo, according to a report. And now the Lamar County Democratic Group met on Tuesday to discuss the issue and announced the decision that they're refusing the resignation of this person who called Senator Tim Scott an Oreo. Don't you think there's a double standard going on? Sure sounds like it to me. Yeah, the group that met, the chair of it is Gary O'Connor did not respond to multiple requests to discuss this. And the Gary O'Connor was criticized over a since deleted Facebook post in which he called the South Carolina Senator, again, a Republican. He called him an Oreo. He had later apologized for that slur, which refers to a black person perceived as acting white. I didn't know that, but uh, he offered his resignation there in Lamar County, Texas, but the leaders of the party there refused the resignation. Again, seems a little bit hypocritical and or it's not equal the way things these things get handled in John's opinion. When I saw this headline, I thought this was an April Fool's joke. I know it's Cinco de Mayo, but when I saw this one, I thought it was April 1st. Stacey Abrams' romance novels set to be reissued. Yes, the Georgia Democratic person, I guess you could call her. She ran for governor, lost that. She was only a state house representative in Georgia before becoming this national figure. And now she's in the news for something I I had no idea, that she was a romance novelist, Stacey Abrams. Yes, but the publisher for Penguin Random House announced Tuesday that it had acquired the rights to three of Stacey Abrams' print novels, and they would begin reissuing them in 2022. 
the nominee for governor in Georgia in 2018, began writing romance novels before ever running for elected office. She went by the pen name of Selena Montgomery. Stacey Abrams wrote the three books set to be reissued, Rules of Engagement, The Art of Desire, and Power of Persuasion. She wrote these 20 years ago, actually. The 47-year-old has expressed excitement about the announcement of her books being published again and released a statement in which she related the books culturally to herself in her younger days. Abrams said, As my first novels, they remain incredibly special to me. The characters and their adventures are what I've wished I'd to read as a young black woman. Stories that showcase women of color as nuanced, determined, and exciting. As Selena and as Stacy, I am proud to be part of the romance writing community and excited that Berkeley is reintroducing these stories for new readers and faithful fans. By the way, Stacy Abrams has written a total of eight eight romance novels and they're all highlighted on Oprah Winfrey's website Oprah Daily. Did you know Stacey Abrams can write about romance? Had no idea. I know in real life I, I'm pretty sure her idea of romance is with those of her same sex. I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. Uh, and I don't know if her romance novels are about that. Uh, not sure. I hadn't read them. But Stacey Abrams, who I don't think's married, she at least can fantasize about marriage and stuff in her books that you can go get in 2022, thanks to these books now being made available. And uh, some people would say what she does in real life is not necessarily a romance novel, but maybe more of a fairy tale. Some people would say that. All right. On the racial front, we go to Louisville, Kentucky. Did you see this video? I saw it for the first time Tuesday. And the Kentucky Derby held in Louisville this past weekend. And did you see the video of Black Lives Matter protesters going down the streets of Louisville? And they went outside of a restaurant and started harassing customers on the outdoor patio there. And one of the customers at this restaurant in Louisville drew a handgun at the armed BLM protesters. And all this because these people were having demonstrations for Breonna Taylor the woman from Louisville who was killed in 2020 by police there, and this person pulled out of pulled out of, uh, this person pulled out a gun. You could see it in the video as the arm. They call them arm. I'm not sure what they had, what kind of weapons they had, but yeah, this patron at this Louisville restaurant, which uh, which was La Chase, an upscale European restaurant on Bardstown Road. The video not very clear, but you can see that he got up and started pointing the gun and. They left. Yes, they sure did. But uh, I guess in Louisville, it's perfectly, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, perfectly legal to do what this man did. He was scared. We've seen people at restaurants in this last year really be humiliated, in my opinion, by some of these people just going down the street yelling. And then they come get – they get in your face. Let's, let's not sugarcoat this. These people get in your face, and they want confrontation. This guy in Kentucky this past weekend wasn't having any of it. And you can see the video for yourself. All right, to the heart of Dixie we go. And Alabama will allow night hunting of coyotes, feral hogs, all this in an effort to control populations. Where's Craig Faulkner when you need him? Feral swine are estimated to cause $50 million in private property damage every year. And the heart of Dixie, the governor, Kay Ivey, in Montgomery signed a new law that will allow the Alabama Department of Conversation, Conservation and Natural Resources to create an official season 
for hunting the two types of animals at night, according to the announcement. Previously, hunting coyotes and feral hogs at night required a special permit, which was only issued to landowners or someone they specifically delegated to hunt the creatures. Now, hunters will be able to buy $15 licenses instead of going through the processes of getting permits. So you can just go hunt all the coyotes and hogs in Alabama that you want, and I'm sure landowners there would be very, very tickled to eliminate this population, this invasive species, both of them, frankly, coyotes and the wild hogs that are there in Alabama and other southern states know exactly what it's like to have these things out of control. And lastly here, a teen in Florida is accused of rigging a homecoming election with her mom, and now this teen is going to be charged as an adult. See, we take our beauty contests and such here in the South pretty darn serious, and 17-year-old Emily Rose Grover was arrested a few weeks back, and she turned 18 last month. And now, in Escambia, where Pensacola is, this 17, now 18-year-old is being accused of rigging a homecoming queen election in her favor and being charged as an adult. And she got some help from her mama, Laura Carroll. Emily and Laura, with their twin mugshots, if you want to check it out, as the 50-year-old mother both... She and her daughter face multiple felony charges stemming from the October homecoming vote at Tate High School in Pensacola. While employed as an assistant principal at Bellevue Elementary School in the same county, Ms. Carroll accessed the, she assessed the uh, school district's internal system to cast fraudulent votes for her daughter, according to officials. And now both of them in a lot of hot water. Now I'm looking at her picture of a homecoming queen. She, Emily, beautiful homecoming queen. But as a person from Florida, besides these two, would say, as rigged. And in this case, it looks like it really was rigged. And I don't know who else was in contention for homecoming queen there at the high school in Pensacola. But, yeah, this was this is an ugly scene. And, you know, if we, if we can rig an election and prove it that this election of a homecoming queen was essentially stolen and counterfeit, Lord knows about all these other elections that go on in our country today. (laughs) Oh, goodness, goodness. I'm John Rawl. This is y'all. Thank you for being with us. When we come right back, we've got a quick look at some business headlines across the South. And then later this hour, we're going to go to the author of a new Louis Grizzard book that's out, Peter Stoddard. All that coming up on Talk with a Southern Accent. I'm going to Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Welcome back to y'all. I'm John Rawl. Man, we love our southern music, some good blues there. And, of course, we have a mixture of southern rock and country. And 
anything else that ties into this part of the world we we do it all right here for y'all and i'm gonna even play on friday we have our friday free for y'all i'll play some bluegrass music for you yeah bluegrass coming your way friday you better get ready for that one and we got all kind of good stuff in fact let me tell you i don't have it completely worked out i'm waiting on an email as we speak actually but if it all goes well we're going to have an interview coming your way on the thursday y'all show and it's going to be direct from key west florida there's a songwriters conference going on there and if we're fortunate enough to have our connections in place we'll go straight to key west and i wish i was there in person i'm going to have to do it virtually but we all probably could benefit from being in jimmy buffett's world down there although i think he lives in the hamptons of new york shame on jimmy buffett but yeah Hopefully we'll pull that through and get you a Key West interview coming up on the Thursday Y'all Show, which also will be Thursday National Day of Prayer, and we'll talk about that on our Thursday Y'all Show. But we got a lot here on the Wednesday Y'all Show we got to get to, including coming up in the next segment, an interview with Peter Stoddard, the author of the hot new book all about the great Louis Grizzard. You don't want to miss out. The book is Louis Grizzard, the dog that did not hunt. And we're going to talk Louis Grizzard big time in just a few. But right now, let's talk developing news out of our nation's capital. On Wednesday morning, Facebook, the board of Facebook, announced they're going to uphold their ban on former President Donald Trump. Facebook can keep blocking former President Trump from its platform, the social media's court-like oversight board said on Wednesday morning. The board did say Facebook must review the decision within six months. The company suspended President Trump's account following the January 6th Capitol riots, but they're going to consider changing it six months down the road. But right now, the board of Facebook will determine what happens later. But right now, President Trump's still banned from Facebook. So if you like President Trump and or you like free speech, I think you should ban Facebook. Instead of Facebook banning people like President Trump, we just need to ban Facebook. How dare they pull stunts like this? This is totally un-American. It's totally, and I know they can say, well, what President Trump did was un-American. But uh, there's been a lot worse stuff said on Facebook and done. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous that Facebook and other social media outlets can start banning people over things that are arguable at worst now if they're illegal i don't have much negative to say about decisions to boot you off for a while but just free speech in general i'm a champion of that that's what we do here at y'all there's some people out there who may they actually may hate the south and you know what if you don't like the south and someone like me coming on here and promoting the region you don't have to listen but don't kick me off and and that's what facebook's doing so again the Developing story from Wednesday in Washington, D.C. Facebook's board is upholding their ban on President Trump. This is our Y'all Business Report real quickly. And keeping it in Washington, D.C., Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she's not predicting when the Federal Reserve may need to raise interest rates. As she clarifies, she's not predicting rates at this time. So the Treasury Secretary looking at the possibility but not necessarily getting into the guessing games yellen suggested on tuesday that interest rates may need to rise slightly to keep the economy from overheating remarks that she sent were sent sent stock prices down with the declines led by tech shares so yes people on edge 
on that front to the news of the media. And how about this? The Kentucky Derby, which was held on Saturday from Louisville, and the NFL Draft, which was held Thursday, Friday, Saturday from Cleveland last week, incredible ratings for those events on television as those two events from the sports world, the Derby and the NFL Draft, pulled in more television viewers than the Academy Academy Awards less than two weeks earlier. And I'm talking about big-time numbers compared to the Oscars. It is amazing how many people tuned out the Oscars. It's amazing how many people have tuned out the NBA. The Nielsen Company said that 14.5 million people watched Medina Spirit win the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. And then the NFL Draft had 12.6 million people tuning in to see it on various networks. I think the Oscars got somewhere around a 10 share or even less. And the NBA also suffering these days. Look, people like their football. They like their golf. They like their racing. They don't want to have a bunch of people preaching to them, which is often what it appears to happen in the NBA's case, the WNBA for sure, and even in the Oscars, where if you tuned in that, you saw lots of people preaching at you about what you uh, what's wrong with you and the rest of the world. How about Maryland's own Under Armour? Under Armour is offering 40% off this week for Teacher Appreciation Week and for Nurses, the site offering these discounts, because this week is Teacher Appreciation Week. It runs from May 3rd until Friday, May 7th. It is also going on this week, Nurses Week. Nurses Week runs from Thursday, May 6th until May 12th. So Under Armour wants to thank all the teachers and nurses of the world. The discount will be included at checkout via a profession verification process. I don't know how that's done, but we encourage you to maybe go to Under Armour and learn more. Now, some of the discounts include the Curry Flow 8 basketball shoes. They're available in four different colors. And listed, how about this, at $160 for a pair of sneakers. The Curry Flow 8 is totally rubberless, making it lighter and very, very easy to use maybe in a working environment like a teacher or a nurse would need. That is something you can get on on a, a discount. And then also the men's Under Armour Tech Polo is currently listed at $39.99 as part of this Teacher and Nurse Appreciation Week. So go to Under Armour for more and find out how you can save some money if you're in that profession. And let us here on the Y'all Show, as we salute our business here in this spotlight, thank all of our teachers and all of our nurses out there as we have both Nurse and Teacher Appreciation Week going on right now. And Under Armour is not afraid to tell you thank you. And you know what? We're not afraid to tell you thank you. Or as we should say here on this show, thank y'all very much for what you do to both instruct and to heal and to get us back and going that's both from a a smart standpoint as teachers do and then from a health standpoint as our nurses do when we come back on the y'all show we'll continue the fun peter stoddard will be on and he's the author of the new lewis grizzard book we'll have a lot of fun going down memory lane with this great southern columnist grizzard that's coming up next on the show all about the south stay tuned Everywhere you go in Georgia now, all they talk about is the Olympics coming there in 96. And, you know, my whole thought is the Olympics in Georgia. God, you know we're going to screw that up. (laughs) I guarantee you, when they let those doves go at the opening ceremony, there are going to be guys in the parking lot with shotguns. (laughs) 
And we will not have a flame that big without a pig on it, I guarantee it. Some fat guy going, dang good barbecue top of them stairs up there. They ain't got no handrail, be careful. Hell, the Olympic rings will be five old tires nailed together. Because they burn a long time. Hey, we're the Y'all Show, and it's great to be back with you here on the program that covers everything Southern. I am John Rawl. For a long time, this fella brought so much pleasure to us each and every day when he had something in a something we called the newspaper. Back when the newspaper, just about everybody read it and enjoyed it, and this guy was a big part of newspapers all across the South and, frankly, all across the nation. Louis Grizzard, the late Louis Grizzard. We lost him in 1994, but for a long time, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution columnist was in newspapers all across the South. And at y'all, here at y'all, and our original publication was Y'all Magazine. For eight years, we had y'all out on newsstands across the South. We were very fortunate that Louis Grizzard's widow, Deidre, allowed us to publish Louis Grizzard's old columns in the pages of Y'all Magazine. And there, when we started doing that, we put Louis Grizzard on the cover of Y'all Magazine. And you can find that at y'all.com if you search for it. But yes, Louis Grizzard, truly a Southern icon and a Southern original. And he did something that I don't think any newspaper columnist, and frankly, hardly anybody in media besides me, of course, can do these days. And that's to make people laugh. And boy, was he good at it. Well, part of the story of Louis Grizzard is captured in a new book called Louis Grizzard, The Dog That Did Not Hunt. And the author of that book is a fellow Georgian, a fellow UGA, alumna, UGA alumnus of Louis Grizzard. Peter Stoddard wrote this book, and he's on to talk about it here on the Y'all Show. And we'll go to Peter right there. Hello, welcome into the Y'all Show, sir. Thank you very much, John. Good to be here. Now, it had to be a tough assignment to have to write a book about Louis Grizzard. Oh, it, it couldn't have been easier. Uh, and I did not start with the intent to write a book. I started just looking for his artifacts and wondering where his stuff was. And that took me to uh, his hometown of Moreland, Georgia, and a museum there uh, that I wholeheartedly recommend. And from there to the University of Georgia and some rare books and manuscripts that are in uh, 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 one of the University of Georgia libraries, uh, met with some folks, and starting with Vincent Barber Dooley, and uh, inquired. Uh, I believe as that would be Coach Dooley. Dooley. That would be Coach Dooley and his wife, lovely wife. Barbara. Oh, you said Vincent Barber. I thought you were using his official title there. Okay, I, I, I now would know what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, uh, and, and and it was a gentleman. Uh, uh, a former president of the University of Georgia Board of Regents who who I first met with and, and asked if anybody had written a book about Louis Grizzard or if anyone was writing a book about him. And he said no. And I asked why he thought Louis's legacy might be fading. And he pondered that for a minute. He said, I don't know. Maybe somebody just needs to champion the cause. Maybe that's you. And he made some introductions, and, and, and the, the first in-person people that I spoke with were Barbara and Vince Dooley in their living room. 
Lewis famously said, if you live a good life, when you die, you will go to Barbara and Vince Dooley's living room. <laughs> and, and I was, oh, it's a University of Georgia man cave memorabilia room on steroids. And it was the Monday after Thanksgiving uh, 2018. And it was beautifully decorated for for Christmas, and I, I spent two glorious hours with Vince. Barbara had to depart early, but everybody just kept saying, yeah, uh, somebody needs to write something. Keep going. And with every person I met, they would introduce me to two more people that I needed to talk to. It, it, I, I wrote it pretty quickly. Uh, it was a labor of love. Peter, we're excited you have this out, and we're going to show the cover. Do us a small favor. I don't know how Louis Grizzard would ask you. We need you to get centered up real quick, and then we'll show the video. If you'll just scoot over. There you go. Can you see yourself? I sure can. Yeah, if you'll get in the middle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring on the book. So here we go. There's the cover of Louis Grizzard, The Dog That Did Not Hunt, new book out from Peter Stoddard. Who is that little bull puppy I'm looking at? It's really funny because I did not know who might own the copyrights to uh, images of Louis Grizzard. And I went to a royalty-free website and I found that picture of an all-white Georgia or bull, English bulldog puppy with, with roses. And, and a year later, I couldn't remember where I got the photo. And it was a, uh, a Spanish woman who put it on a royalty-free website. I finally tracked her down thanked her profusely and she thanked me profusely it seems just perfect all right well we like like the cover like the book so again we're talking about the the author well he was an author he had a couple books out but he was really known for his columns that were in newspapers all over the country lewis mcdonald grizzard jr born in 1946 and then as we said passed away in 1994, at the age of 47, of course, his health was a, a subject of his columns in those last couple of years, and his famous words were certainly something that has uh, not been forgotten some 27 years after his passing. So did you ever know Louis Grizzard? I, I never once met him. I, I was in Sanford Stadium with him. I was at Sugar Bowls with him. I was in... <laughs> I was uh, in the French Quarter with him, and I was at Georgia-Florida games with him. He no doubt had far better tickets and far better accommodations than I ever did. But I, if I ever even walked into the same room, I, I do not know. He, he, just, he just, he just, in my opinion, is the greatest humorist America ever produced. And if I may elaborate a little bit, uh, he was syndicated in 450 newspapers across the country. Uh, uh, all the way to the West Coast. Yeah. Maybe a few maybe a few in Canada. He wrote twenty-five books, twenty twenty of which were New York Times bestsellers. Some of them were just compilations of his columns. Others he wrote from scratch. He sure did. He was a writing machine and it's uh, amazing that it's been that long since we lost Louis Grizzard, but thanks to you helping to kind of keep the memory of Louis Grizzard alive. I think that at Y'all Magazine, we did a good job for a long time of publishing his old columns. Again, thanks to his widow for allowing to do that. We're talking with Peter Stoddard here on today's Y'all Show as he is the author of this new book called Louis Grizzard, That Dog Won't Hunt. And if you have a favorite Louis Grizzard memory, hey, hit us up here on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We want to know about 
how Lewis Grizzard impacted your life because, look, he impacted my life. I went into journalism, and I think anybody who's a journalist, yeah, it'd be nice to win Emmys and, and Pulitzers and all the uh, things that you are supposed to do as a writer, but if you can make somebody laugh, and Lewis Grizzard definitely made people laugh a lot, then that's just as good. And by the way, if you can get paid to make people laugh, well, that's even better. But Louis Grizzard was a true Southern legend. And as you said, there's a museum in Moreland, Georgia. That is southwest of Atlanta, kind of on the way to Columbus, Georgia. And what is the latest uh, with that museum? What is the latest that you found when you went on this kind of discovery mission about Louis Grizzard? Well, uh, the, the museum is the second one. The first one was in, I think, an old police station. And the owner of that one donated artifacts to the new one, which is, uh, it's a lofty name. It's the Moreland Cultural Arts Alliance. Hmm. That's got some Moreland history. It's, uh, it's mainly the Louis Grizzard Museum. And, and I haven't been there since my first visit. And they had lots of bins of artifacts that they had yet to archive and put on display. And, and I wholeheartedly recommend a visit. It's near Noonan. Georgia, a few miles off of I-85, and I could spend days in there, especially if they've added to what is on display. They've got uh, a, a quilt that Lewis's mom made out of his old pajamas, um, a pair of his Gucci shoes, uh, one of his many typewriters, uh, uh, most or all of his books. It's, it's hard. Some of his books are out of print. And, and you can you can find them on the used market, but uh, uh, in terms of that's the status of the museum. Uh, and and I'll say with regard to people discovering him, I've, I've encountered people who have all or most of his books on their their bookshelves, and and their kids or their grandkids have discovered them, pulling them off. And his humor was timeless. He was very self effacing, and. Uh, uh, and, and kids of younger generations pull off a book and they'll look at it and they'll just say, this is the funniest guy I've ever read. Where can we find him? <laughs> and, and well, he's been gone uh, for 27 years. It was March, March 20th, uh, 1994 when we lost him. And in true Louis Grizzard fashion, his last words were newsworthy. And then his remains were somewhat newsworthy Fill in the audience on what I'm talking about. That is correct. It, it, it's funny when I was in Vincent Barber Dooley's living room and he said, if, when, you, when you die uh, and, and you live a good life, you'll go there. I was wondering if he'd tap me on the shoulder. Uh, he was cremated. and uh, But his last word his before his, his passing was newsworthy. Pardon me? What he said before, just before he died was also classic Louis Grizzard. Well, yeah, he was talking to his cardiologist and he knew he was not going to survive surgery number four. And and one of the cardiologists, Randy Martin, who's a late chapter in my book, cared for Lewis for, for two years and knew his sense of humor. But the two surgical cardiologists explained to him as it's written, you'll see it written that he stood less than a 50-50 chance of surviving. It was more like a 10% chance. And the cardiologist explained that to Lewis and they said, do you have any other questions? And Lewis said, I've got just one question, doctors. When is the next bus to Albuquerque? 
And that ended up, that ended up uh, Randy Martin busted up, but the two cardiologists who, who didn't quite get Lewis's humor uh, thought maybe he expected better cardiological care in, in New Mexico. Uh, <laughs> and, and that ended up being a title of a posthumously published book. Yes. And then, as far as his, uh, he was cremated, and his remains, true Louis Grizzard story there. Right. He uh, Half of his ashes are buried next to his uh, beloved mother, in, and the cemeteries in Moreland, Georgia. Half of his ashes were scattered on the 50-yard line of, uh, of Sanford Stadium, University of Georgia. And that is true. We've always heard that is uh, maybe just fiction, but that is true. It is. Um, the, the folks that did the scattering went to Ray Goff. Ray Goff, coach at the time, was a very good friend of Lewis's, and they asked permission. And Ray said, if I let you do that, I'd have to let tens of thousands of Georgia fans scatter ashes on Sanford Statham 50-yard line. And so they went in under cover of darkness, and, and Sanford Stadium was – being renovated at the time so there were no yard markers and, and some one person asked the other you know where do, where's the 50 yard line and the other person said just scatter the ashes lewis will find the 50 yard line <laughs> well this book that you've actually put out that the dog that did not hunt is available you can go to amazon is one of those spots you can find the book out by Peter Stoddard. It is a collection of Grizzard stories the world has never heard of. So how did you get these stories and give me a little sample of what we can find? Well, I, I taught, I, I did not talk to any of Lewis's four wives. Uh, they're all happily, or they're all remarried or, or, or they all lead private lives. And, and I just figured it'd be simpler not to talk to the wives uh, I talked to Lewis's childhood friends in Moreland, Georgia, high school teachers from Noonan High School. One was a journalism teacher. One was uh, uh, an English teacher. They were both 87 years old. They both recognized Lewis's genius early on. Some of his University of Georgia fraternity brothers, uh, Jim Minter, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who hired Lewis right out of the University of Georgia, and was with him his last day on earth uh, at Emory Hospital. Uh, Pepper Rogers, a Georgia Tech fan, was a good friend of Lewis's, and that was a surprise. We just lost Pepper a few months ago, and he's quite a character. But he he was never a night owl barfly like Lewis, but he he and Lewis were were competitive, competitive tennis people, and they were both... Elvis Presley fans, and they were and they were on they they were on vacation together the day that Elvis died. They were at some beach, whether they had spouses or dates with them, I do not know. But it was announced from some bandstand that Al, Elvis had died, and and it put a funk on their vacation. And and Lewis later wrote a book uh, that was partly related to his heart ailments. Elvis is dead, and I don't feel so good myself. Uh, he, he's got another book uh, about heart ailments uh, that uh, they, they tore they tore out my heart and stomped that sucker flat. <laughs> so, so it's uh, initially I've got a Facebook page that says Lewis Grizzard Biography Group. 
it, my book is not a biography. If it was a biography, you'd be writing forever and it would be a thousand pages. It's a collection of stories. And, and since the book published in January 2019, I, I've gained so many more stories. I could probably do two or three more books. It's, it's 50 plus chapters, 480 plus pages, bigger than any of Lewis's books. And in hindsight, I wish I'd made it two books, but that's that's. That's I was going to brag on you because from what I know about the great late great Louis Grizzard, his books were not quite so lengthy, and I've got the count for your book at four hundred and eighty-two pages. C- correct. I, I'm partially. I partially benefited from a large font. It's it's a courier font uh, uh, that I wanted to look, wanted it to look like something Lewis's type manual typewriter would crank out. He never used an electric typewriter or word processor. He wanted, he wanted to hear noise when he worked. So he insisted on a manual typewriter and, and a pleasant surprise is that it's a large font. So people uh, often don't need their readers. And, uh, and I'll say uh, that that published in January, 2019 in 2020, I published a Louis Grizzard CD that, that few in the world have heard. Uh, I was, uh, to speak to a Rotary Club, and I found an Alabama fan who did not like Lewis, and he said, in 1981, I hired him to come speak to another group, and I've got a cassette. Do you Would you have interest in it? And I said, absolutely. The audio quality is perfect. Lauren Smith gives an introduction. He's in rare form. Lewis is in rare form. University of Georgia had just won the national championship. And Lewis was just embarking on his public speaking career. And there are some jokes you've heard before, uh, but you could tell he was telling them for the first time. And, and, and uh, both the books and CDs are available directly from me uh, as well as on Amazon. But I will sign and dedicate and, and personally mail or, or deliver if somebody's in the metro Atlanta area books or CDs, uh, $20 each, uh, dedicated and signed and and the amazon delivery guy uh uh won't dedicate and sign <laughs> no he won't he will not do that but yeah and and going back to how lewis wrote of course microsoft word didn't exist during his writing career he did it the old-fashioned way he earned it and peter yep. stoddard you've earned yep. it too again Right at nearly 500 pages is this new book. We encourage you to get it. You mentioned that people can buy it directly from you. What is the best way to find you and go through you instead of that Amazon fella? I'm old-fashioned. My my email address is stoddardmedia at gmail.com. People can feel free to call me, 678-725-5889. Okay. Uh, I, I take Venmo and PayPal. I'll take checks and cash. I, I, I'm not yet set up for credit cards, uh, but I, I, I'm easy to reach and, and very, very reachable. What is the cost for the book and shipping? Uh, $20, $20 for the CD, $20 for the book. If you want it uh, fast, it's going to be about $9 uh United uh, Priority Mail, USPS. Otherwise, it's um, uh, it's what they call book rate media mail. It, uh, that's five, six dollars. Okay, but and if, again, you buy, if you buy if you buy both, uh, uh, the, the CD fits right into the book. So, 
Peter Stoddard, we can't thank you enough for coming on and telling us about the great tradition of Louis Grizzard and his connection to sports. He wrote about the Braves a lot, of course, and SEC sports. And and uh, truly, nobody has replaced him. Nobody ever will. But your book is a great way for people to come acclimated. The Dog That Did Not Hunt, it's available right now. And he mentioned earlier in the interview, if you missed it, rewind, and you can get the ordering information also available on Amazon.com. But a, a great way to catch up with Louis Grizzard via Peter's book. Thank you so much for your time, and we're looking forward to the sequel. Thank, thank you, John. I enjoyed it very much. We enjoyed having you on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. And more of the show that covers everything about the Southeast will continue after this break. Stay where you are. Winding up this second hour of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Hey, quick reminder, Sunday is Mother's Day, and KirkusReviews.com has a list of 15 kids' books for Mother's and Father's Day 2021. Among the list of books that you can find here, Our Shed by Robert Broder. That's a good kids' book if you want to give something. I didn't know kids got presents for Mother's Day, but evidently some people do that kind of thing. The Meanest of Meanies from Kristen Hensley and John S- Jen Smedley, also a choice. Dad, I need to read that one, maybe not for Mother's Day, but it's also out by Mifflin Lowe. Day Old Child, Carol Lynn Pearson. That's a new book out that is a perfect gift for Mother's Day. Your Mama by Noniqua Ramos. It's been described as perfectly dazzling. It's a Mother's Day-themed kids' book. And I love this one. It's titled Stroller Coaster from Matt Ringler. Again, Kirkus Reviews has this listing of the 15 kids' books for Mother's Day and Father's Day. And check that out as we kind of wrap up our book talk here on the Y'all Show. Well, the next guest we've got coming in hour three lives his life by the book. And his name is Art Cruz. And he's got his sombrero on celebrating the 5th of May. We'll have our third hour of Y'all coming up after this. Don't miss out on the phone. The third component of this y'all show on this 5th of May is here. I'm John Rawl, joined by a guy I think with some Mexican ancestry. Art Cruz is here. Hola, Senor Cruz. Hola, Johan. Of course, his name is not spelled the way people normally spell it south of the border. But uh, have you ever been confused with being someone with Hispanic heritage? Absolutely. Uh, I am naturally, as you can tell, a little dark skin. When I get out into the sun, I get even darker. So when I tell people my name is Cruz, I wish I had a nickel for every time, John. I watch somebody write my last name down as C-R-U-Z instead of C-R-E-W-S. Of course, we got C-R-U-I-S-E, C-R-U-Z-E, C-R-U-I-S-E. Are you Kenny Tom? 
what kind of question is that? Can't you? I'm his identical twin. <laughs> Can't you tell? Have you ever benefited from having the last name Cruz? Uh, monetarily, yeah, no. Like people I, I think can't it, think them, but, no. Other than, I mean, I have an adoring public that follows me everywhere I go. Given my good looks, being a twin to Tom Cruise, the actor, but I haven't been able to cash in on that. I haven't monetized it. And if you could help me with that, John, I would appreciate it. Well, are you kin to Ted Cruz, who spells his name a little bit different from you? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say yes, just in case there's any money okay. in it. I can always jump off that train later. All right. Well, good to have you back. We missed you on Tuesday. Kobe Bennett was in here. So you uh, are back in the co-host chair here for this third hour, what we call – do you like the new name I came up with? If you hate it, I won't call it. I call it the closing argument here this third hour. John, you used that the other day, and I thought that was radio gold. I thought, okay. man, he didn't even he didn't run that by me. But, you know, here I am a practicing – a attorney for almost 40 years have been retired now for several years but that moniker is is something that uh, i think we need to go ahead and copyright that all right as soon as possible well i do a good job i think in hours one and two but i need that closing argument to come in here and just kind of uh, knock it out of the park and so that's why we have to have you we could not do the show without you well that's what i'm paid to do i mean i realize <laughs> that's my role i get paid a lot of money to come in here and give my closing argument on these topics that uh, you throw up in front of me so um sometimes i do better than other days but uh, as they say in bull durham the movie the great movie bull durham some days it rains some days you win some days you lose and and um we'll just see how this day goes all right well, i thought you were going to quote that with the old john denver song some days are diamond what, some days i don't know that one i, I think i'm right as john denver song john denver I, I realize john denver is not a very bright individual uh, after i watched um dumb and dumber that time and lloyd was taking the, the wrong way to the rocky mountains those people that have seen uh, dumb and dumber remember the reference to john denver's intellectual capability i can't quote it word for word here on the radio but hopefully that brings a, a chuckle to people who recall that part of the movie some days are diamond some days are stone that's a john denver song and i i've seen just like a lot of people dumb and dumber a bunch oh yeah I, I don't know what you're talking about. When he – Jim Carrey traded their vehicle in on what Ooh. he called the hog. And he came back and rode uh, – he rode the hog back out there, and that was the little scooter that okay. got a million miles a gallon. Yeah. And there was a road sign that referenced the Rocky Mountains. It said, Rocky Mountains are this way. And then he, and then the dialogue was the Rocky Mountains are that way. John Denver don't know, and uh, I'm not going to say the next word. Okay, but that's uh, an expletive, I it, guess. It is an, an expletive, and also another word that begins with an e. But um, I'm not going to say. But John Denver don't know because they had not been heading toward the Rocky Mountains up until that time so fast forward it to that point you know here i am i can't recreate the hilarity of the moment don't expect me no, to do that this is a closing that argument is, that's one this of the is, funniest movies ever made though and if you look at the movie john when it comes on tv the guy you get you've got some nerd sitting up in a five by five office somewhere uh looking at these movies and 
telling us whether they are one, two, three, or four-star movies. And some people, sadly, before they will watch a movie, check the number of stars to see if it's a two, two-and-a-half, three-star. I'm talking about on the on the television side. So yeah. uh, I have the uh, JEA broadband uh, cable. and uh, Hey, no free shout-outs. Well, I know. <laughs> they keep my water clean to me. To, no free uh, shot. But, uh, okay, well, heck, we'll bill them for this one. But on, on, on the guide, though, you know, whenever there's a movie on, the guide will will rate the movie, and Dumb and Dumber is rated as a two-and-a-half-star movie. If there ever was a time that I wanted to use my legal wizardry and correct an injustice in this world. It's to somehow contact the powers that be to change that two and a half star to either a three. I won't say it's a four star movie, but it's a three all day long, every day. If you don't think that's a three star movie, then you don't know comedy. I mean, that is just, you talk about subtle comedy, no slapstick. It's all dialogue. It's very deep. You can watch that movie four or five times, and you see something different every time. The comedy is so intellectual, and you know I've been lying for the past 15 minutes because it's all in-your-face, slapstick comedy, but in my mind, it's, it's, it's a classic. Yeah, and you're right. It's, it's, it's good, and sadly, we're, what, 25 years removed from when that came out? Somewhere? I cannot believe it. And I can't believe they made Dumb and Dumber 2, and it's so horrible compared to the original. Yeah. I've watched that one time, and I can't answer any questions about that because that was enough for me. Yeah. Uh, some horrible sequel. Good movies back in that time period. We are y'all. We like to talk movies. We like to talk uh, – well, we like to talk about uh, food, and you heard us talk about books an hour or two. Great, right. great interview with Peter Stoddard about his new Louis Grizzard book. Did you grow up as a little boy reading Lewis Grizzard columns? I did. Not as a little boy. I'm, I'm uh, certainly uh, advanced beyond those years. I grew up uh, getting my first Social Security check, I believe, reading uh, Lewis Grizzard columns. <laughs> but uh, Lewis Grizzard is just uh, – I know that he's not the poet laureate of the South. I understand that. But there has got <clears> – <throat> excuse me. There's got to be a like title for Louis Grizzard as applies to a columnist because you couldn't read a column of his, uh, especially if you're from the South, because he spoke our language and he spoke about everyday experiences that all of us have had living here in the South. And uh, we started off talking about comedy movies and Dumb and Dumber and Levity, but if you want some levity to read rather than look at, on the movie screen, Louis Grizzard is your place to go. People that aren't familiar with him, please, please uh, go back and read uh, his columns or the books that you were speaking of in hour two. He's a treat. Yeah, and he was truly, just like Dumb and Dumber, funny. And oh, we yeah. don't have hardly anybody, if anybody, out there that's genuinely funny. Heck, Jeff Foxworth is not even funny anymore. Well, don't you think, though, John, that the the death of comedy has paralleled our society in terms of the divisions of our society. I mean, we can't we can't tell a joke anymore without someone getting offended. We can't tell a joke anymore without offending some intersectionality that uh, is going to attempt to cancel us. That's one reason I enjoy the comedian Bill Burr so much. Bill 
is beyond cancellation. I'm not familiar with Bill Burr. Uh, Bill Burr is a comedian. Uh, he's originally from the Northeast. He lives in Los Angeles now. But he's one of those guys that, you know, uh, it remind, he sort of reminds me back in the day when Eddie Arnold was still singing in the Grand Ole Opry. And, um, and of course, Eddie Arnold was country music, just as country as you could get. But one year, Olivia Newton-John won Entertainer of the Year in the CMA Awards. And, of course, Olivia Newton-John is not country. So um, the interviewer, after the award presentation, asked Eddie Arnold, aren't you a little bit mad because you've got this non-country person, this Olivia Newton-John, she's Australian, she's a pop singer, she doesn't sing real country. She's got a hyphenated name. Aren't you upset that she won Entertainer of the Year and the CMA, the Country Music Awards? And Eddie Arnold looked at the guy that said, and he said, you know, I'm old, I'm rich, and I don't give a damn no more. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the way Bill Burr is with his comedy. Uh, he uh, he will go where others fear to go. He makes fun of our cancellation society. He makes fun of people who can't take a joke, who can't laugh at themselves. Uh, just several specials on Netflix. If you're a podcast nut, he has two pod, at least two podcasts per week. Bill Burr, B-U-R-R. Uh, you Fantastic. got a real burr for him, don't you? I got you? a burr under my saddle for Billy. All right. To Olivia Newton-John's credit, yep. okay? You mm-hmm. ready for some praise for that Aussie? Why not? She, in her kind of coming out back in the 70s, she did a lot of tour stops around this part of the world. And at one of her tour stops, she ended up becoming friends with a guy. I don't know if there was a romance going on or not between them. But he gave her a dog. And she named the dog after the town that she was performing in and where she befriended this guy. And she kept that dog about 15 years and was a favorite pet of hers. The dog's name was Jackson. Are you serious, sir? I won't tell you which one. No. But somebody I know ran into her at a Vegas, one of her Vegas performances, and said that they were from that town. And she said, and, and knew that guy that gave her the dog. And she said, oh, I love Jackson. Oh, I just... He was my favorite dog ever. So I thought that was pretty cool for somebody from Australia to name their dog Jackson. You've intrigued me, John. And, and it wasn't me that we, we, gave her the dog. We, we've all had our moments with celebrities from time to time. We've, I we've, haven't had a moment with Olivia Newton-John. Well, no, but you you have moments in your life when you run into celebrities. I mean, heck, every day at 10 o'clock, you're – you're here with me so uh, every day hold on y'all i need to take a break for a second <laughs> uh but uh, i'm just trying to think in, in all my in all of my contacts with celeb brushes with celebrity i'm trying to think of a circumstance which would arise that would engender me giving a dog to another person and that person accepting it i would what was the, there has to be more to that story i think there could have been a romance you're talking about yeah exactly it's not and, one of and those to things. our fellow southerner whoever that was good on you yeah, well, mate sure. absolutely <laughs> oh man let's get that man standing on the she's still incredibly good looking actually i honestly this is me i'm not trying to sound like a snob I think I met Olivia Newton-John. You'd think I would remember meeting her, but oh, I had a job back in the 90s at CMT. I used to actually help pick the music videos that went on country music televisions. Okay. And we and we had 
all kinds of celebrities stop by all the time, often taking us to lunch or bringing us other stuff. Not trying to get in trouble with Paola here, so I can't tell you the exact uh, rewards we received. But she was on a Nashville record label at that time, and I swear to God, I can't remember if she stopped by the office or not. I why? think she, I think she did. I think that's the question. Why, comma John, comma can't you remember whether Olivia Newton-John and you crossed paths? Because, a woman of that uh, that that because uh, at the same time I was crossing paths with shania twain on a regular basis Mm. and so olivia kind of got demoted also just somebody totally out of the nashville picture i went to lunch one time at uh 101st airborne Mm -hmm. do you remember that restaurant in nashville i've never been there i've heard it It was on right by the airport Mm -hmm. and it had like you could hear the airport tower when you were in there it was a pretty high expensive place to go eat Mm -hmm. on murfreesboro road but uh one time crystal bernard took me and my co-workers to lunch there do you know who crystal bernard is no, you stumped me on that one she is that blonde on that 90s nbc series wings oh good looking actress oh, john yeah john you had so many opportunities where the ball was put on the tee for now, you now i remembered her of course yeah. she was there with billy dean her boyfriend who left his wife to be with her by the way billy dean was a country music singer and still is but yeah uh, that's why i really can't honestly remember i had uh neil diamond stop by one time i'm just trying to think of people totally sweet, bo jackson came by my sweet office caroline yeah you ever heard of bo jackson he would say sweet caroline that's terrible i know that's terrible but i'm not trying to said bo laughs at his at his own stuttering i should have kept a diary but i really think i did so enough about me no 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 i want to know you know here you have a job every day i've got no you piqued my interest i traded in crystal bernard olivia newton john shania twain and other starlets of that time period for you well you've certainly outkicked your coverage with me there's no doubt hey, about that, it that, that, that turn's taken but i am i am uh i am absolutely wondering you're meeting all of these beautiful young women the ball is placed on the tee for you and you've briskly run by these circumstances where you've met them certainly with the ball being placed on the tee you, you had to take a swing every once in a while and you had to not swing and miss every time you had to connect a couple of no. times there's got to be a juicy story in there john i was so irrelevant the only the only one of those uh there, there were two i'll tell you about if if we i mean this is not what we were supposed to be talking cares? about but okay if, if this is good for the ratings so i started working at what was the nashville network tnn in 1993 and just after working there a young lady from star mississippi caught my eye where is star star is about 15 miles south of jackson on the way down to the coast okay. on 49 okay it's in hines county i think uh not that you know all of mississippi's well, 82 counties but <laughs> it, it's 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 famous i asked the question star mississippi yeah. is famous for this person i'm about to tell you okay and her first music video started airing and i fell in love she she was so freaking star beautiful mississippi she was a star and she was so incredible uh that i just had to go out of my way and i did i went and i probably shouldn't be doing this this, this was probably something l- frowned upon by the uh gaylord family which own opry uh opry land and the national network and cmt in that uh, 90s time frame but <laughs> whenever this person was across the parking lot at one of the studios i went out of my way to go say hello absolutely and i did and it was faith hill 
Oh, my gosh. And this was right when she came out early in 1994, and I went over there to uh, make the move, but she had her publicist. I think her publicist's name was Nancy was with her, and not much you can do whenever their person is right beside them. So I, I didn't have much luck. There was a, just, But to show you my luck, Art, to show you how things went for John back in the uh, good days of the 90s when country music was booming, there was one country music absolute babe that I got to get to know a little bit. And she even invited me to help teach her to play golf, to have a golf lesson. Oh, John, the possibilities are endless. I can visualize you right now. I turned her down. Not not showing her standing across from her, but behind her, your arms going around her, showing her how to grip the golf club. Tell me you didn't blow this. I did. I did for, for one good reason, but looking back, I could have actually maybe changed her and also changed myself along the way. (laughs) That would have been fun. You would have just been building a testimony. I know you probably, you don't keep up with country music too much, do you? Well, yeah. All right. Well, you might know who I'm talking about. If not, you can, you can Google this real quick to get a visual aid. This person I turned down because art, I had a steady girlfriend who ended up becoming my wife. Oh, John, there are reasons that we do things, and that's an excellent reason. You were faithful, and, but I'm I'm still dying to know who this person was. The person was, and the reason it just illustrates how uh, me and and the the women folk we just don't have the right chemistry. Evidently, this woman who I turned down to instruct how to play golf was Shelley Wright. Shelley Wright, who had one big song, "Single White Female," 1999. Now the Googler, real quick. Tell me what you think when you see her picture. C H E her name is C H E L Y Shelley Wright. And she had uh, one big problem why it wouldn't work out with me and then another small problem why it would not have worked out even if we did go play golf and started uh playing along in the uh out of bounds area. John, I don't know the girlfriend that you're speaking of. Uh but she better have a long list of attributes <laughs> if you chose her over Ms. Shelley Wright. Well, I, I told Goodness you I, I, mar- I married that woman I turned down Shelley for and divorced said woman. So, yeah, I should not have turned down well, Shelley looking you know, back. My gosh, I'll get Shelley on the phone this afternoon. I'll Well, well here, here, let me follow up. I told sure. you there's one major problem that later came out that uh, maybe Shelley and I would not have worked out. Oh, my god! And goodness. then there's a minor problem between us. The minor problem is Shelley is a native of Kansas. That can be worked through. And, and I'm a southern boy. And okay. so there's a little bit of a problem there. It's just an education problem. I have confidence in your ability to mold somebody and teach them. So that's not a problem. All right. And then the other maybe bigger problem between uh-huh. Shelley Wright and myself, why uh-huh. it didn't work out or could not have worked out, um, she became one of the first people in country music to declare that she was a lesbian you know John, <laughs> you asked me to google her and the the pictures of her and other men are few and far between yeah. on this page yeah uh she has chosen to uh she would she'll never know what she missed in john raw yeah uh, i mean that's, I know. that's her loss i know shelly if you're listening i'm still available for that golf lesson and uh and 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 I'd love to maybe teach you other things about life and more. But yeah, that's that's my pathetic existence with uh, the other other 
end of the spectrum. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, she made a choice, and if no, and if I made she, the first choice. Well, I, I chose love with someone else. Well, she chose love with <laughs> someone else too. Ben. If she decides she wants to change and add something which she cannot get from her previous partners, then she'll come back to John Raw. And another small problem with Shelley and and myself. In case it, 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 we we did start going forward toward marriage. Uh, she was an MTSU Blue Raider. Again, uh, these are problems that if you have enough, if you have enough skill in molding someone and teaching someone the error of their ways, which I have full confidence that you do, you could have worked around that right. problem. Look, I got to take a break. This okay. is just way too much personal information. Do, do you mind if we go into your personal story after the break? Yes, I do mind okay. because we won't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we do have some sports stuff to talk about. That's a little bit more important than, gosh, me and Shelly Wright. Stay tuned. More of y'all's coming right up. We're back on the Y'all Show, and uh, I normally start out segments with music and Art's got me so darn off my uh, game, if you will. Flustered. I've got a and a salute to what could have been. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play a little Shelley Wright music. Oh goodness gracious! Since you said you had not heard of this, this was the song that was. Oh, her, you're going to play some music. You yeah. said you're going to play a little Shelley Wright. I didn't know where you're going with that. <laughs> music. Oh, okay. Come on, man. Uh, this is single white female. This was a number one for her back in 1999, and and I'll just let it play for a second. And then we'll come right back and talk sports. Maybe a little golf. I know that every morning you go thumbing through the person who wants. You grab the latest copy, a cup of coffee, and settle in for a good laugh. I've been trying to catch your eye, but I'm so shy. I'm hoping and praying that today's edition is going to catch your attention. Because there's a single white What you think, Art? Single white female. I think, um, what a disappointment to <laughs> all members of the male species. All right. He is Art Cruz. I'm John Rawl, and it is the 5th of May, 2021. Hope you all are doing well, wherever you might be listening in on great radio stations across the Southeast, and all of you who catch us via Apple Podcast. And also at y'all.com, also at iHeartRadio, the app there. You can find the Y'all Show where we mix in. I, I missed yesterday, of course, John. You mentioned that. But I listened last night on iHeartRadio. I listened to the show yesterday. It's, it's, uh, the Y'all Show is is so accessible all over the place on the World Wide Web. I'm, I'm, I was really surprised. We completely believe in diversity here at y'all we believe in iHeartRadio, apple Podcasts, y'all.com we're also on the tune in app did you know you can find us there i did not know that tune in as well Gee, tune, tune in, app, in the podcast section 
and there's a whole bunch of other things. The way this stuff works these days, you put a podcast up, and if you sometimes we have to our incredible staff here. I mean, we've got oh, I forgot the guy's don't name st- down the hall, but don't he, start naming. You'll leave somebody out. Yeah, John. well, that guy could be a girl. I'm not sure. Uh, does a great job of getting us out there. So there's no excuse to not hear the show even when you miss a show i'm impressed that you actually spent time listening to this show yeah, yeah when I you weren't I, even here i listened on iheart i was quite surprised to find it on iheart when you go on apple um do these other podcast platforms pick you up or do you do you john raw have to contact these differing podcast platforms individually to make sure the show gets I can't on? tell you that privileged information do you think we want to have a hundred million other podcasts out there. Actually, we already have the hundred million other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every every site's different. Some of them you have to file a, some kind of submission, and then some of them they kind of magically start showing up. And honestly, I'd have to look hmm, at a case by been. case. But yeah, it's it's out there. No excuse. But we've got to give a special hello and thank you to all of our listeners who go out of their way to listen to us on what we call radio stations because those are the folks that really uh, we really value them and frankly if you're listening to us and you like our show let us know 803-816-1170 tell us where who you are where you're calling from and maybe just how southern you are we want to hear and that's a text number that's a call-in number 803-816-1170 as we continue on with the show all about the Southeast, and this is our closing argument of this Cinco de Mayo show. And, Art, let's get a little sports talk out of you here in this closing argument. And we missed you on Tuesday, so you're back in here on patrol. And what is your closing argument on something that happened Saturday at Churchill Downs? The Kentucky Derby was held, and I just mentioned in the second hour today about – a guy pulling a gun out at some people there on the streets of Louisville. What is oh, that was the a restaurant? Honorable yeah. Art Cruz's summation of what happened at the Kentucky Derby. Well, you know the Kentucky Derby. If we if we tune in, um, watch the coverage on television. Of course, we see the horse race, and thank goodness we don't see everything that goes on backstage and behind the screens. Uh, you mentioned a fellow pulling a gun, but that happened at a restaurant, and I can't think of the name of it right now. It's an upscale, sort of Eurocentric restaurant in um, in Louisville. But anyway, La Chase, La Chase. That's that's exactly or La Chassis, or something having to do with a car, La, La Disc Brake, La Chassis, something like that. But anyway. Uh, these were BLM, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and those type of people who attempted to disrupt uh, the Kentucky Derby. Uh, a lot of those folks were carrying signs saying things like, we haven't forgotten Brianna. Uh, an airplane was flying over uh, at that time, and the airplane was to my knowledge, sponsored by Black Lives Matter, and it was pulling a banner saying, protect black women, divest from police. And, of course, that's just stupid. I mean, just ridiculous. If you want to see how ridiculous that is, hop onto YouTube and see what Charles Barkley, a great Southerner, uh, said about uh, the black people and their 
their willy-nilly notion of uh, divesting from the police. Um, no justice, no derby was another sign that I saw uh, that was being carried around. And here we are, and, and, and the thing that struck me, and the thing I want to to bring up this morning, more than just the specific incident at this restaurant, I mean, we have incidents like this all the time. Uh, we have incidents at sporting events like this all the time. It's You can't watch a sporting event without knowing that somebody is outside protesting something sometimes the protesting is is legitimate sometimes it's not but the left john the left and i'm not talking about liberals here although i'm not a liberal but i'm not talking about liberals there's plenty of room for liberals in our society there's plenty of room for middle of the roaders plenty of room for conservatives Uh, we have men and women who have died for freedom of expression but I'm talking about leftists now. What's the difference between a leftist and a liberal? Well, it's a matter of degree. Uh, you know, I, I, one thing, of course, is that you, know, you can talk to a liberal. <laughs> you can't talk to a leftist. Uh, whereas a liberal may want to uh, talk about pay equality, uh, which is a something that, quite frankly, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, is, is something that needs to be discussed. We have haves and have-nots, and and people who are have-nots who have done their best uh, in life, you know, there needs to be a safety net for those people. Uh, uh, it's just a matter of, you know, how how strong is the safety net, and at what height above the ground do you string the safety net? That's That's a discussion between a liberal... Uh, and a conservative. A discussion between a leftist uh, would be, yeah, we need a safety net for these people, and the safety net is going to be made up of all the money I take from you, John Rawl, and all the money I take from you, Art Cruz, because you don't have a right to have one cent more than somebody else. They're communists. They don't think there should be any separation uh in terms of monetary status between uh, individuals in our society. Some people are going to be more successful than others. That is a fact. That's a given, be it because they're lucky or be it because they have talent. But a leftist would be someone who would look past that. A liberal, you know, there were a lot of liberals that were in favor of stopping Adolf Hitler, for example, from attempting to take over the world and in the 1940s franklin delano roosevelt was a liberal liberals do see uh, the the need to fight wars from time to time leftists don't think you should ever fight a war only in self-defense and i've gone off on a tangent here you've asked me the difference between the leftists and the liberal i hope i hope i've touched it but the leftists to me they've just lost their mojo i laughed quite frankly and I said I wasn't going to talk specifically about this incident at this restaurant or even at the Kentucky Derby. But, I, John, I laughed at what they're doing now, the left. Here they are. You know, I look back to the 60s, back when I grew up, okay? The left had some cojones back then. You know, who would they take on back then? They took on the CIA. The left back then took on the Pentagon. They took on the armed forces. They 
wanted something, and I didn't agree with anything that they wanted. I still don't agree. I will debate until the cows come home uh, that their position was wrong. But at least they had some gumption and would go after something. Look who the left goes after now, the Kentucky Derby. (laughs) Or a restaurant in downtown Louisville. Yeah. I mean, seriously, now all, all we hear on, on TV now, John, is the left is going after white supremacists or the Proud Boys or if, if those people, those people, whoever these white supremacists are and whoever make up the Proud Boys or similar organizations, there aren't enough people in those to, to cause a mild disturbance in downtown USA anywhere. But that's what the left will have us believe now. They want us to look at them. They want us to look at Antifa. They want us to look at these kids and young adults that have hoodies on and black bandanas around their face, and they're taking on local police departments. Ooh, seriously? Is that the best you can do? I mean, they they have lowered their sights and instead of taking on the CIA and the FBI and the Pentagon, they're taking on the Kentucky Derby, the Portland, Oregon Police Department, uh, Minnesota Police Departments. And I think it's just sort of sad that uh, what we get from the left as uh, what comprises a danger to our society is certainly, certainly minuscule. And uh, they're in it for the attention. And uh, I guess they got some attention from me. Yes, they did. But believe me, the attention they got was pure hilarity. When we come back after this break, we're going to get Art's take on an injury to Joan James of the Broncos. He'll be out for the entire season. We'll tell you how and why coming up. on the wall says we got to get out of here in just a few minutes we are y'all if you want to email us we welcome that arts over here checking the inbox as we speak it's m-a-i-l mail at y'all.com john raw with art cruz this is our closing argument and art if you don't mind i'm gonna have you go away from talking about uh, my failed romances and the Kentucky Derby's uh, BLM protests to a little sports news and a former Tennessee Vol in the news for the Denver Broncos. And, Art, it's not the best news coming for this big guy. Jawan Jennings was a, a Denver Bronco, and he unfortunately tore his Achilles tendon the other day. Now, John, you know from speaking with me uh, during our conversations on the radio that I'm really interested in unintended consequences of rules, changes, and things of that nature. And here's another situation where we have an unintended consequence. After the season is over, of course, there's always labor unrest between the players represented by the NFL Players Association, NFLPA. There's always unrest between the players and the owners. The NFLPA advised 
its members, its union members, that they should stay away from the team's offices, the team's workout facilities, the team's weight rooms during this offseason, and they used as the excuse COVID-19. I, quite frankly, don't think that was the reason that the NFLPA advised its players to stay away. I think they just used the pandemic as another way to sort of stick the knife in owners as this union management you know, relationship, if you can call it a relationship, goes forward. Each day, it seems like each side wants to do what it can just to gig the other. But the unintended consequence of that is that Jawan Jennings followed the, the directive of his union and was not working out at the Broncos' facilities. He was working out on his own. And while working out on his own, he ruptured his Achilles tendon. Now, you might ask, what is the significance of that? He was working out. The significance is that he was working out on his own, not at a team facility. That allows the Broncos to classify Jawan Jennings' injury, excuse me, Jawan James's injury as what they call an NFI, a non-football injury. He wasn't at the team facility, so he has a non-football injury. That means, among other things, that the Broncos are not, underline the word not, put the word not in bold letters, they are not obligated to pay Juwan James' $9.85 million salary this year, an unintended consequence of the union telling its players, if you want to work out, don't go to the team's facilities. It seems to me this is really hollow because the Broncos, what would they want their players to do? Did they want them sitting around on the couch um, drinking Budweiser and eating Ho-Ho's? No. They want them working out. They want them staying in shape. Juwan Jennings was doing something that eventually was going to inure to the benefit of the Denver Broncos. But the Broncos are going to use this fact that he worked out not at the facility, but at another facility at home or in a gym, and they're going to say, mm, that's a non-football injury. We're not obligated to pay your $9.85 million salary. As a matter of fact, if you look at the contract closely, you'll see that the Broncos could go after his $3 million signing bonus and try to recoup that because he has injured himself with a non-football injury. Now, John, I understand these player contracts. I have seen them. Uh, the standard player contract precludes a player from engaging in a lot of dangerous activities like skydiving and the like. Hmm. I understand that. If you have a product that you're putting on every week, like the National Football League, and a huge part of your product is the players. I mean, that is your capital if you're in the NFL. Your capital is your players. You want to protect those players, so you don't want them skydiving. You don't want them engaging in certain activities. Otherwise, the contract would be voided. But here, Jawan Jennings, all he was doing was working out. This wasn't something for his benefit. This wasn't something purely 
that he wanted to do, this inured not only to his benefit, but to the team's benefit. But you watch what the Broncos do. They're going to jump in the breach here, and they're going to say, well, your union told you not to come to our facility. You worked out on your own. You have a ruptured Achilles tendon. We're not paying you. I think that's, on the one hand, Jawan Jennings shouldn't have listened to the misguided, and I underscore that word, the misguided direction of his union telling him not to work out at the team facility. But on the other hand, but on the other hand, the equity of the situation, the fairness of the situation, it seems to me, would cause the Broncos to pay this guy because he was working out, trying to become better at his craft, trying to become a better Denver Bronco, and the Broncos are going to use this technicality to try not only to keep from paying him $9.85 million this year, but try to take money back from him that they've already paid. Amazing. Tough. Juwan James, who starred at North Gwinnett High School in Sewanee, Georgia, before moving on to Rocky Top. He was with the Dolphins for several years, been with the Broncos since 2019 offensive tackle, now out with an Achilles tear and will not be playing in the 2021 season. We got one more segment of this third hour of y'all coming up. The best Mexican restaurants in Alabama. Yeehaw! We'll tell you all about it. Andale! We'll be right back with more of the Y'all Show. I don't know what those guys are saying, but it might be good. This is y'all. I'm John Raw. Can you translate Art Cruz? Said something about salsa and queso, but I don't know. I understood those two words, but nothing in between. All right. It is Cinco de Mayo 2021, and AL.com, which covers all things Alabama, has a great article out about the 11 Mexican restaurants we love in Alabama. And I'll tell you what, I know Alabama is not along the Rio Grande, but my goodness, I've had some of the best Mexican food in my life in the heart of Dixie's. And I'll go ahead and shout out one of my favorites in the world, Rosie's Mexican Cantina. You can find that in Huntsville and in Florence. It is to die for. Check it out. Have you been to Rosie's? Never have. Oh, it's what's it's, so great about it? It's just it's one of the best Tex-Mex restaurants, and it's just both locations. There's one on South, is it uh, University Drive in, in Huntsville? Then they, the one in Florence is right in downtown Florence, Alabama, and both are just incredibly large Mexican restaurants, and they are to die for. Just trust me on that one. You'll like the name of this one. I haven't been to this one, but they've got a couple of locations in Alabama. Little Donkey opened in Homewood in 2012 serving fresh Mexican fare. And Little, don- why, Little Donkey. Why would you think I would like that <laughs> I name? I just huh? thought you might like the name. You're just being an ass now. <laughs> Maybe so. Montgomery, the capital city, El Rey Burrito Lounge is one of the 11 best Mexican restaurants 
that are at least for people in Alabama love to go to here on this Cinco de Mayo. And we'll take you back to Huntsville for Bandito Burrito. Not been there, but it sounds delicious. And Tuscaloosa, T-Town, with a place I've never been to because I'm going to brag about another place in T-Town that's not on this list. But in Tuscaloosa, AL.com recognizes Antoyitos Iscali. I have no idea. It's a family-owned, authentic Mexican restaurant on Hargrove East in Tuscaloosa. My favorite fast food Mexican food, period, that's fast food in the world, Art, you'll love this since I know you're a big Crimson Tide fan, is Tuscaloosa's own, oh gosh, I just love it every time I go to T-Town. I wish I had two of those. Yeah, what? Anything having to do with the Crimson Tide. Let me ask you a question. I'm looking at Rosie's menu, and here's something I've never had. I know several Major League Baseball parks serve them. Here, Rosie serves it. And if it's not good at Rosie's, I, according to you, it's not good anywhere. A mahi-mahi fish taco. Have you ever had a fish taco? Never. A lot of people like them, but I've never had one. I was hoping you had had one. Again, you give me a something review. else you and I have in common. I never finished my statement. Taco Casa. Oh, it's got okay. the big green cactus when you go into Tuscaloosa. They also have one in the Homewood area of Birmingham. It's fast food, Mexican I love it. And if you have ever been in Tuscaloosa or Alabama, you've ever had Taco Casa, it's about 10 times better than Taco Bell. But it's only in that portion of Alabama. Well, I, 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 I spent a, a month one weekend in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> and again, that's a fun article up at AL.com. Check it out here on this Cinco de Mayo. 11 Mexican restaurants we love in Alabama. Well, Art, that will wrap up our show. Thank you so much for coming back. I'm sorry you had to come in and work on Cinco de Mayo. Well, my, you know, if I wasn't getting paid so much, John, I wouldn't be here, but uh, we'll I feel be, obligated. We'll be back here on the Thursday. Y'all talk with a southern accent. Have a good day.